Y'all, the stank face Alicia just gave me when I told her the rundown list before we we recorded. We had very different orders in which the comics should be spoken about today. Yes, we did. We shall see what we shall see. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin. talking about last week's comics we are right, we are yeah. the latest of late uh just i always love to to give that preamble up front blonde china sent us a picture he sent a, a picture of a woman like squinting off in the distance me trying to find y'all an episode <laughs> from last week and it made me laugh so hard but also cry a little on the inside because we had a lot of life things going on yes. we had a housewarming party which was really great but it was also consuming our lives for the last month or so like every task we planned to do took longer and then we spent the last like few days before the party just crunch. doing all of them it was Everything. like con crunch but housewarming crunch and we just didn't have any energy left to record and then we were gonna record on sunday but i was literally like a blob of nothing and yeah. i couldn't get motivated and i really wanted to be excited to talk about these comics you know but now we're excited to bring you a little recap of what happened last year an abbreviated recap most likely but something that shows off what happened last week before we roll into next week mm-hmm. this week yeah. now Whoa. today tomorrow tomorrow Tom- who knows whatever what so, time is it? The, t- the the topic of conversation for this podcast is our Digi, X-Men Unlimited, number 101. We've got Storm, number four. These are our Tangies now. Deadpool, number 10. The Invincible Iron Man, number nine. X-Force, number 43. Realm of X, number one. And Jean Grey, number one. But first, before all that sassy delivery of the last title in the stack, we have the news. The news. The news. The get that last news in. The deaths of Jean Grey, right? Is the topic of conversation. It's the top of the stack. It's the 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 list that keeps on growing. How many times is this woman going to die? A lot, I guess. Well, Marvel's going to tell you all the times it's happened before with some pictures, with some reference points, a little works cited page. Oh. Hey, you want to watch her die on repeat? You can. You can. (laughs) Yikes. Also, connected to Jean Grey's death, at least some of the first couple, the history of the Hellfire Club. Ooh. So you can get a little insight on... This group of movers and shakers, this mysterious uh, body of people that are terrible in the background. The underground network of destruction. Yeah. I read an article, the the declassified articles that mm-hmm. I mentioned last episode. They yeah. had one for Realm of X with insight into the need for friction in the team. So Ooh. the writer Torin was talking about why she wanted to see some friction between the members and Mary just immediately adding that. She also teased Magic's dramatic personal arc, the fact that she has no mutant powers and can't access her magical abilities mm. while in the realm that they're in. That's, yes. I have lots to say about that. Many do. Many do indeed. Teases and covers for Predator versus Wolverine, that miniseries. That where does it take place? When is it happening? What's it all about? Soon we'll find out. And an interview with Miss Marvel about Miss Marvel. Oh, sick. So, Eamon, 
showing us the inspiration that has become now her comics writing career. So cool. Right? So cool. How cool is that? Like, honestly. Hey, do you want to play this character that you love in movies? Yeah? Okay, great. Do you want to write a comic about her? Yes. Sick. Let's yes. do it. All of the above. Thank you, please. Personal news? Do you have something to personal tell? Personal news? Yeah, I do. It's a silly bit of personal news. So, um, without revealing too much, there is a thing that... Warpath Dylan and Michelle Waffle have been doing for, I think this is like the fourth one. Um, we did Summer of X. No, maybe this is the third one. Summer of X, Hollows of X. And now we're doing Summer of Marvel. Um, so they're just fun little like cosplay photo shoots that uh, circle around these different themes and you can like submit, hey, I want to do this character. So it's not out yet, Summer of Marvel, so I won't tell you what character I did. However, I did buy a pair of sunglasses for this and we did our photo shoot earlier today and I, when I tell you that I now believe that these giant sunglasses are my entire personality and huh. you can probably catch me wearing them every single day, I'm really excited about it. Really excited about it. That's cool. Yeah. I reconnected with a friend over comics. Mm. He was texting me. We were texting back and forth, talking about recommendations of comics. He just got into comics again, sharing them with his five-year-old daughter. And it's a new way for them to bond. But also, he wanted some recommendations of what I would suggest. I said, my favorite indie comic is Something is Killing the Children. (laughs) Instant classic, right? Instant classic. He gets the first volume at the library and reads it in one sitting. Of course, because and I, that's how you read Something's Killing the Children. I texted him back and I said, I didn't want to say this before because I didn't want to like overhype the wreck. I've never not read the full volume. Right. Like I've never not been, I, I've never been able to just put it down and say, okay, no, okay, I'll that's come enough. Back to that. That's enough story. Right. I don't want to know what happens next. I know. It's crazy. There's, I actually have a friend also who, you know, some of my friends were joking about starting a book club and I was like, I don't have time for a book club unless you want to read Something's Killing the Children. I'll gladly read that again. And it was a conversation between like me and three of my friends and one of them was kind of like, I'm intrigued. And then I showed her a cover of Something's Killing the Children and told her like a little bit about it. And she's like, I want to read this. And I'm like one step away from Amazoning her the first trade just to like entice her and see what happens as i was talking about it with greg i read the first volume because i was just like well i picked it up to take a picture and show it to him might as well i might as well i have it in my hand and it just reads like candy so might as well speaking of that uh when they were here greg showed me his daughter's super shredder costume that she just made on her own and like he was like you guys got to get together and like make costumes like she just went in their playroom and like put together a costume and came out and was like i'm super shredder and i was like don't i look just like it Dad? i love this i'm so here for this this is fantastic yeah so uh, i mean another offshoot if we're if we're gonna share right yeah we were giving tours of the house. Yes. Right? And so, I mean, you might be able to assume, and, and I think it's it's well positioned where we have the ex-wife podcast pillow in the first room that you walk in on the house. Like, mm-hmm. it's in the living room to just get you ready for what's to follow. Right, wait. So, on, on two separate tours, one, we walk into the office and... My fellow improviser, Dan, says, oh, is this the nerd room? Ha ha ha, Dan. This is the least nerdy of the nerd rooms, <laughs> but I appreciate you. And that, that just served as a uh, 
a primer for what was to follow. Mm-hmm. I went upstairs and I was showing my friend Andrew the upstairs room. Mm-hmm. And I said, and this is Alicia's room. And he laughed and said, so how's marriage going? <laughs> I Don't worry. I have my own. And then we have a room. You yes, know, that we sleep in together. Right, 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 right. She has her cosplay room upstairs. I have my danger room and or green lagoon mm. that had not been revealed on the podcast proper we oh, talked about right. it we only talked about it on patreon so the danger room was the initial idea that i had had kept on forgetting to tell alicia i told her she loved it i was obsessed and then we've hung some art and also just the vibe and i pitched it to everybody at the party more votes for the green lagoon yeah so okay but these are also casuals that know nothing about x-men right so let's give you just like a little vibe of the room and if y'all want to tell us what you think you know send us your votes on what the room should be called it's like got a loungy vibe to it it's in the basement it's definitely the green lagoon i mean it has the the x-men video game cabinet action figures okay so you're leaning towards green lagoon you want to talk. You want to describe the vibe and sell, tell people what they want to vote for. It's the Green Lagoon. I right. mean, it just doesn't give Danger Room vibes. Well, not yet, but we could make it give Danger Room vibes. Yeah, I told Justin the name like, can be in flux until I buy him a neon sign with the name on it, and then right, and it's set. Well, and then once I install one of the wheeling blades to come out of the wall, <laughs> right? Then lasers it's the room. and robots. That's the vibe of I the mean, danger room. I mean, there are room. sentinels in there. Yeah, sure. And sure, Galactus. Sure. I mean, so. sentinels also exist on Krakoa now. Uh, if we're being honest. Yep, that's true. I guess. Let's talk about that poll. Four entries into the poll: Ooh, Realm of okay. X, Iron Man, X Force, and Jean Grey. Who? won the poll okay so before we before i answer this i need to i'm gonna start a little video that we're making for patreon who will get to see this this portion of the pod a little early i'm gonna say that gene gray won do you only think that because i put it last in the stack i say that because everybody loves gene gray Okay. <laughs> you, I know, did not enjoy Jean Grey, but I also know a little bit of why. Right. We'll get to that when we get to that. What percentage? Yes, Jean Grey won. Yeah. What percentage? Mm, 47%. 35. It was, pretty, it was a pretty close race on everybody. Iron Man came in second with 26%, which is, you know, telling you what's going on in Iron Man's world. Realm of X came in fourth. With 19% beside, behind X-Force at 20%. Okay, are you ready? What yep. what was your book of the week, Justin? It was Realm of X. A what? What? <laughs> that was, I, was, I'm, I thought I was going to flabbergast you with my news, and I feel flabbergasted by that answer. What was your book of the week? Iron Man? Iron Man. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know. I Dang I, it. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to get a reaction out of you for this silly little video. Oh, wow. And now you got a reaction out of me. Good. I never get reacted out of. Oh, wow. Realm of X was your favorite? I don't know. It was it was a really close tie. I thought X-Force was solid. I yeah. thought Iron Man was really great. Jean Grey was really strong and interesting, thought-provoking, and, and kind of exciting as to what else happens in the series. So I don't know. The fact that Realm of X lost the poll but is still, you know, number two in our hearts yeah. on the, the rundown. We'll yeah. see. Let's get into it. Actually, before we get into the comics, mm-hmm. two general questions, comments, 
not concerns, but Captain <laughs> Two Michael thinks Captain Krakoa is probably Nuke. Ah. Evil Cap would be happy to join, and Nuke is being made to fight by them saying, you know, some of the encouragement that they said. Oh, that was that's like kind of an interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. Evil I Cap mean, would be immediately on board. He's, it's in, it is interesting though because the Captain Krakoa did just kind of like burst out of the. The thing like, yeah, I'm in. Like when Stasis and Modok were kind of chit-chatting. But I like this idea that there's a difference between the two of them and one of them might need to be coaxed a little bit more. Well, yeah, right. Nukes manipulated more often. Mm-hmm. Evil Cap is evil. evil. Bruce 33 wants to know if you had to pick a mutant that best represents the other, who would it be? But also, they loved your thoughts on Maddie and Alex's relationship last week. Maddie... Just being herself. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay. If we... All right. If I if I had to pick a mutant that represents the other... So me. You would pick a mutant that represents me. Oh, oh. What was the other in your like, mind? Like the subgroup of like the other in oh, quotes, no. you know? Okay. So, oh, if I had to pick a mutant that represents... Well, I already know because you've, you've mentioned it and I feel like it's pretty accurate... So Jamie Madrox would be my choice. Jamie Madrox is likely the right answer. Gambit is probably a, a runner-up. Yeah. yeah. Gambit in my heart, yeah. for sure. Jamie Madrox in my brain, for sure. <laughs> what about for me? I think it's got to be Kate, and I know you're going to love that because, <laughs> you know, it's the it's the fresh perspective on the world. Mm. It's the also hardened badass when necessary. <laughs> it's the... Cut you up and drink you under the table. <laughs> it's the like heartfelt, I'll be here for you, but also I'll cut you if you wrong me or my friends. Yes, all of it. Yeah. All right. Valid. Here for it. Great. Okay. So first up, our Digi, X-Men Unlimited, number 101. We got a cannonball story. Right. I like the fact that we are getting other segments. We're, we're playing in that time before and during the Hellfire Gala in a couple of different ways now mm-hmm. with X-Force doing the during and now these little character slices taking place before the gala happens. So we can be happy while everything else is sad. Yeah. So Cannonball takes his little journey home. He says, hey, fam. Well, first he, he, he has to meet with Jumbo. They have to discuss all things gala related. And then he's going to go home, he's going to say hi to the fam, and he's going to do some super heroics. He's going to pop in and help his sister with some... There's so many kids. Saving, yeah. There's so many children. There are so many. There's so many Guthries. There's many Guthries. There's almost all mutants. And there's lots of natural disasters, and so, you know, he's there to save the day. And then he's on the news, and it's like a little... I don't know, heartwarming, classic family fun time for Cannonball. Yeah, I I really liked the long scrollers Mm. and how he's stretched across the page in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that's Uh, nice. Especially with someone that has a unique power signature like Cannonball that Mm -hmm. you can play with that in fun and dynamic style. Yeah, for sure. Written by Steve Fox and Stephanie Williams. Art by Noemi Vittori. Colors Pete Pantanzas letters Travis Lanham. This is Travis Lanham. Jubilee is the next one. It's already Ooh. out. Came out on Monday. Oh, gotta read it. Gotta read it. All right. So, worth mentioning in Storm Number Four. Is it though? 
No, I'm trying to like <laughs> sift sift through with your pan to find the gold nuggets. I mean, so your feelings on Storm as a title aside, yeah, the content worth mentioning in relative to the overall story was pretty hefty reveal that we've been calling since issue one. Right, right. Like, Travis is the bad guy. Travis is the bad guy. However, Travis is being more so manipulated both by this shadow monster that kind of takes over him and he's working with Mystique. So we kind of had the sense of that, but we also get the reveal that Mystique is sometimes been Travis and Travis hasn't been spending as much time with Storm as he... As we perceived him too. So the fact that Storm is in love with Mystique and we're all yeah. here for it because yeah, I'm not, come on, fine with me. I think if I can get now into like my thoughts on the book, sure. I think because that's really reason, all that happened. You know, right. the reveal, the fight, alienating Rogue. Actually, the Rogue and Mystique story was pretty interesting. Mm. Didn't really cover any new ground, but Mystique wants her daughter back. Right. And she's like, why are you with these stupid X-Men? They're soft. Let's go kill people. And, and Kitty seems to be investigating Travis a little more and might be the one of the team to sort of sift out what exactly is happening with his technology. But I think because so much of it felt predictable and like, I don't know. I just... I started to like this book more and then when it got down to it, like the nitty gritty of it, I just felt like it feels weird for Storm to be so in love with this yes, guy. Right. Like that, it just feels like too It was always intense. disingenuous from that perspective. Yeah. The fact that like she is someone that otherwise has not shown this type of emotional disregard and just flung herself at other people. Like even, even with Forge... Yeah. Or even with T'Challa, even the the on panel romances that we've seen her develop, Doom and their courtship a little mm -hmm. bit, right? Yeah, it's it's always Storm is in control because she is the ultimate in control baddie. Yeah, and I think I just don't fully understand why it is that Mystique is working with Travis and like what she has to gain from manipulating Storm unless it has something to do with getting Rogue back? Well, she wants to drive Storm away from the X-Men so that they're leaderless and easier to defeat. So that she can get Rogue back? And or defeat, just so and defeat the X-Men. I think it's both, yeah. I mean, she's bad guy. She's doing bad guy things. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was it. Those are really my feelings and my thoughts. So, there you have it. That's Storm. Blowback, part four. The Eternity Coil, written by Anne Nascenti, art by Geraldo Borges, colors Andrew Dalhouse, letters Ariana Maher. VCs Ariana Maher. Alan Davis and Alejandro Sanchez on the cover that we didn't really talk about, but is a classic X-Men trope of one character leaving the rest behind. Mm. Exit Storm? What? No. Question mark, exclamation point. She cannot leave. Yeah, no, I called it right travis mm -hmm. and even mystique have been up to things in the background i'm still kind of struggling to be excited about this as a title i'm glad that logan knows travis's trash from the start but <laughs> doesn't know that he's also mystique interesting yeah you can't smell that yeah well i don't know I, it's gone <laughs> back and forth i don't think he can because i think she might disguise herself to such a degree but and then it's always the question of charles what are you doing like you have this ability to just do like surface level scans but i think also she has 
some ability to fight that in a sense. Well, here's two things I have to say. One, maybe the instances when she is Travis is more like when Storm would be alone with Travis. So maybe they have an experience. Maybe they are getting like actual Travis. Yeah. And two, I cannot condone Charles Xavier just peeking into a stranger's mind because I don't condone it any other time. It's not like stealing thoughts. It's more of a reference check in my mind. It's it's like when you're in someone's house and you're in the bathroom and you're poking through cabinets. Different. It's, it's the cabinets of their mind. Uh, I also thought that the most interesting reveal was the fact that Mystique is playing them, playing Storm to divide the team and then destroy them from the inside. That takes some of the ingenuity from her and their brotherhood and levels that up a little Mm -hmm. bit. I think that that was probably my favorite point. But then Vaderino has my second favorite point about the only thing I liked was that Storm's mohawk stays up via static electricity. Otherwise, meh. (laughs) Which, yeah, I mean, that sums it up. It was like, that was a cool point. Uh, I, I did like that. I got into an interesting conversation with Chris at the comic shop about this too, and just the fact that like you know these exist for classic readers. Right. They're not picking them up. The classic readers are not buying them. Not even into it. Oh. Right. Bummer. Right. So it's like okay, so who is? Who's doing it? <laughs> because there are some that are good and some that are okay, and mm. this one is probably on the okay side. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. This one is okay. Yeah. It's a okay, just all right. Time to talk about Deadpool. Deadpool. Likely the last issue. There's no solicitations for issue 11. He's in two other books outside of this. It very much feels like an ending. It ends the arc, right? Yeah. And, and they intentionally do that so it can now break into two five-issue trades, mm. right? Ten issues. It used to be six-issue trades. Shakes fist at the sky. <laughs> but I think that Deadpool, you know, it was a good ending yeah i overall really enjoyed this title and that's not something i've ever said about deadpool i mean it didn't really have anything to do with krakoa nothing at all except you know deadpool is around i was talking to a friend uh we've been kind of going back and forth we're both big kate fans and we've just kind of been talking about like what is happening with kate though because like the other day i made a silly little image of like me as kate up against a krakoan gate that I made in Canva but then I decided not to like really post it because I thought it looked too silly but I posted it in my story and anyway led to this whole story and we were talking about you know Gilly was like well what if Kate's not a mutant like what if that's how she can't get through the gates and I was like I can't stand for that like I'm not that can't be the answer because if that's the answer then She's not going to be in X-Men comics. And like, what is my life at this point? Like, what is the point? You know, it would never take Kate. That's what I that's what I thought. But then I also was thinking about Deadpool and I was like, well, Deadpool's not a mutant and he's got his own title in the X world. So you never know what could happen. Juggernaut won the vote. Right. I mean, I voted for Juggernaut. So sure. I mean, and then you have people that are mutants by association by the fact that they are outside the Mm. norms of their race, like Brew and Warlock and. Oh, Warlock. All right, but anyway, let's Bring talk about Deadpool. Bring him back. Bring him back. Okay, yeah, Deadpool. We still doing worth mentionings, or do yes. I have page turn noise this one? No. No page turn noise for you, Deadpool. All right, worth mentioning. Um, I mean, it's the final showdown. Yeah, we, we got the final showdown. And Deadpool has the hots for the Horned Emperor. Doesn't oh, yeah. care 
what is inside the vessel of Valentine. They are his boo. Mm-hmm. Willing to love them even if they were a worm, even yeah. if he was a worm. You know, like the, the back and forth from their playful repartee in the beginning. Yes, and Yuriko and her brother have a lot of... Falling out. Yeah, there's there's a lot of tension between them of like who should have got who into the atelier and, and you know, where they actually stand. And we end this issue with them kind of coming around and being in the new atelier that is formed at the end. You know, Valentine puts up a valiant fight while all the other members are trying to take them down so they can become the the new leader, which doesn't really go well for them. And then we get this new happy family, which consists of Deadpool, Valentine, Princess, Yuriko, and her brother. Yeah, which I'm here for. I think yeah. that's cool. And I would totally follow the story wherever it goes, especially if it's outside X-Men comics, which it's always been because yeah. that's... And I actually really like, you know, I like Princess as a character. I thought the whole like Princess walking in on Deadpool and Valentine when they were not dressed, you know, that whole thing in the beginning was funny. I really like the conversation about, like you mentioned it, that if I were a worm, like, would you love me still? Yeah. Just seeing the fact that Valentine did not intend to fall in love with Deadpool, but actually genuinely did. It's yeah. a nice... It's a nice story for Deadpool. Right. You know, it had heart and humor kind of balanced in the between of the two. And I think overall was a fun Deadpool comic. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I've never collected Deadpool. You can't say that anymore. I know. I collected Agent X for a while, who kind of was Deadpool, but not. It was a weird time. I also know that, you know, Yuriko, Lady Deathstrike's story has been evolving over a handful of titles but i think that this particular title did a really good job of sort of embracing this new attitude this new identity this this new path for them to be on and at least even open for not being a pure villain anymore right there's so much more to her you know i think she's not being manipulated anymore so she's kind of got this time to Figure out who she is. Yeah, that all started when Wolverine, Laura, rescued her from Orcus in that issue of X-Men and let her go. And, you know, seeing her show some mercy or family Mm. love and understanding to her brother where, you know, her brother was ready to kill princess and, and, you know. Right. And and then princess is like, can I eat this one? (laughs) No. No, you can't eat my brother. Okay. Sorry about it. So. Let's get let's get those title page moments coming at us for this Deadpool comic. Who'll let the dog out? Who? 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 To the Victor. Written by Alyssa Wong. Art by Luigi Zagaria. Colors Matt Miller. Letters Joe Sabino. This is Joe Sabino. Martin Cocolo and Niraj Minone on that cover. The bloodied cover of Deadpool just crawling through some destruction for mm-hmm. sure the next on this i thought was kind of interesting we get a preview image of the venom annual part of the contest of chaos mm. where venom and deadpool will be going up against each other 
I wonder if Princess will be involved. Makes sense. Uh, this is also written by Alyssa. Oh, cool. Which is part of the reason why I'm like, I'm confused. Are we done with Deadpool? Is there maybe like some on the, the back burner while he's doing these other titles? The fact After that, the fall, maybe? Well, the fact that Alyssa is also launching Captain Marvel's new number one mm-hmm. makes me think like they are going to have a number of things on their plate. We'll see. We'll see. Barusu33, wondering when does the Deadpool story take place in relation to what's happening with the fall of X? That's a great question. One that we don't have a whole lot of clarity on. I'd imagine that it happens before the gala. Yeah. Entirely. I would imagine like Deadpool, this is like what he's doing when he's not hanging out with X-Force, you know, on the off days. Which, you know, for such a concentrated story... But then to it just it just speaks to the disjointed nature of sharing a character amongst multiple titles. Yes, yes, for sure. J.R. Matt and D said that Deadpool has the Fall of X symbol on the cover. Is this issue related? No, never. No, not even it, a little. Not even for all ten ep- issues. Never once. Not was sure why the, they did it. The tangent of the horticulture relative. For like a hot saccharoni. Yeah, and just nothing else uh, <laughs> other than Yuriko, you know, and, and she's there and that's great. Yeah. Vitorino says, this book has done wonders for rehabilitating Yuriko and I love to see it. Yes. She's a dog person, laughing emoji. She's a dog person. I mean, Who it, knew? It's so much... To say that these 10 issues have, have just really added layers to her character to be more than just the stabby villain mm-hmm. that she has largely been. I mean, there's some other instances of her getting some characterization, some story. But between this and then what happened in the Rogue and Gambit miniseries, right. I feel like we've gotten a whole new Yuriko and yeah. who she can be. Is and she I Lady Deathstrike? That, I don't right. know. Right. There was one issue, which I can't remember, but like... Which one it was in, but there was a comment about like only her enemies call her Lady Deathstrike. Right. You know, and like maybe that's not what she wants to be called because she's not a villain all the time anymore. You was know, was that the, the Jubilee voices? It might have been. I think it, it was. Been. Yes. Yeah, where they were at the mall. Yes. <laughs> I'm happy with myself. Good for job. For knowing that. Good job. All right, let's slow it down a little. Okay. But still, you know, uh, you know. Yeah, so this is this is another section for our Patreon friends that they'll get a little sneak peek of. Okie dokes. So, the Invincible Iron Man. Your book of the week. I don't know. It's kind of tied between this and X-Force, if I'm being completely honest. Whoa. I know. Where you so, you were like, Realm of X, Realm of X is going to be your number one. That's what I thought. No. But this book, I'm having a hard time because I really want to stand my ground. I really want to be firm. One of us. One of us. In the no Tony and Emma. And I am conflicted because I am feeling things when I read this book. Good. Let's talk about the cover. Let's start start with the cover. That sweet, sweet stealth suit doing big things. Looks like it's... it's, uh, beginning to be invisible or becoming visible again no i think it's it's tony going underground going off the grid it's good i meant like the like he in the suit is either just about to be invisible or 
And I meant metaphorically as a way of uh, saying he is disappearing from the spotlight. Indeed he is. Shall we? Page, turn, noise. The Invincible Iron Man. The End of Iron Man. Woof. Written by Jerry Duggan, art by Juan Frigieri, colors by Brian Valenza, letters Joe Caramagna. VCs Joe Caramagna. Cover artist Kale Nigu. <laughs> so we're picking up pretty much exactly where we left off. We've yeah. got this fight. Tony has put Emma in the suit. He's launched her away. Now he's here getting the crap beaten out of him by Sentinels. And calling a bluff. Right. Or saying, hey, you know, here's I'm playing cards with my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, you're going to kill an Avenger in the street? Let's go. Let's do it. And the way that he just like, he just brushes Cap aside. He's like, don't help me. I don't want Phelong to know that I have the help of my friends. Which is like odd to me because... Everybody I, knows you're an Avenger. Like everybody. Right, right. That, but also like... If Phelong is looking at you through the lenses of the Sentinels, can he not see that Captain America and Thor have shown up? Yeah, and was Thor really there, or was that just... Was that like, Thor's in my mind, in my heart, in the distance? I don't right. know. So, I don't know, but Tony is, he's going in alone, he's going deep into the sewers. Tracking Emma, the ability to find the suit based on a technology in his phone. And, and it seems that once Emma was in the suit, she had no a way to get herself out of the suit as she is, like, gasping when he finally releases her. Yes. And, you know, she's, she's, this is, this is where it started for me. This was, like, she's so upset and then she sees him and she's Anthony. like, you're injured. And I'm like, no, Emma, no. Why? Girl, it started three issues ago. No, it started right now. All right. Well, catch up because it's going. I don't know what this, I don't know if it's the art. I don't know if it's the writing. I don't know what it is. Wedding bells, next issue. That's what it is. No, no, no. Eh, I'm not ready. She even got a ring. Yeah, but it's not that kind of ring. It's not that kind of ring. It's not that kind of ring. (sighs) Tony catches Emma up on Phelong's strategy, right? So destroying the mutants from the inside, using propaganda, the Interpol warrants Mm -hmm. on everyone, Orcus's manipulation and the despair that... Emma is feeling the fact that she can't sense everyone. The this touching the moment, yeah, it's it's always been about the children, right? You know, right. But her girls too. Sure, specific children, <laughs> ones that are technically hers and Steve's potentially. <laughs> Sorry, Tony. Undeveloped plot point. We'll see. I love this. I posted this. The "You Avenge Them" line. Mm. If they're all dead, you avenge them. This is. Actually, the third. A lot of people pointing it out that it's the second. Captain America saying, avenge them in Uncanny Avengers. Yeah. But also, Charles Xavier telling Rogue, avenge Krakoa. Everybody's telling <laughs> the mutants to avenge their fallen. Yeah, but it means more when it's coming from an Avenger. Sure. But Charles, at his wit's end, inspiring an Avenger who is also an X-Man. Rogue, previously a card-carrying Avenger. Yes, yes, yes. But you're talking about the shoulder touch moment? Yes, I am talking about touch. the empathy, the the shared feeling between the two, the, oh, uh, is this the right place? Or Shoulder touch, the lean away, 
and then the, and then the awkward like, ooh. I'll see you later. Let's not do despair right now. Yeah. Let's catch up with Rhodey in prison because that's more fun. Oh, poor Rhodey. He's getting beat in prison for being a superhero, apparently. Well, yeah. And also, it's sort of that, like, you know that this warden seems to be in on it and is tied to Phalong. So it's like, okay, we know that this guy is here. We probably know he didn't do it. So we're just going to keep beating on him so that he breaks eventually and tells us what we want to know. Tells us who really did it. You know, gives me some information on Tony. Yeah. And the legal advice coming from Jen Walters, She-Hulk, to Tony to say, I want to smash for you. But also, I can't have you as my client. I need to focus and protect yeah, Rhodey. I got to drop you, my friend. Get yourself another lawyer. And also, just give him back the suit. Give him the suit. He owns it. Like, Do you really want to have this much heat on you? And so as Tony is stripping anything useful from the suit, some things that are not on Phalong's radar, <laughs> to the next page, hucks the suit i'd imagine that he's set it on autopilot of some kind as it has smoke in the background behind it or maybe but you just got a really it's just thrown like it's all broken apart it's not even fully put together as a suit oh yeah he's not gonna put it in sentry mode you know he's just gonna throw it just throws it in there and i also love that he is just not afraid to be like screaming in the streets like i hate you Phalong. You're the worst. You killed my friend or you're, you're trying to kill my friend. Right. Like, I'm not trying to hide that I think you're a bad dude. I hope everyone's recording with their cell phones right now. Well, sure. Avengers in the streets telling it like it is. I love the constant nods to Tony wrestling with his alcoholism. Mm. Right. And so this has come up in the series before. But this feels real for someone that especially at such a low in this yeah. story that he's at to just see liquor and to know what that could affect him. And the previous reference of, you know, he could show up dead by alcohol poisoning and no one would bat an eye right. yeah. and it could be orchestrated by Phalong. Right. Which is, it's terrible that that's how it could happen, you know, like, and, and interesting to think like that's definitely how Orcus would do it. Like they wouldn't be going in and like, shooting him up in the streets like they're gonna make it seem like not my chair not my problem i had nothing to do with this yeah instead he goes for a little wig he goes to the wig store to get hazel her new do returning to emma in the sewers and having it out right so this little mm -hmm. back and forth the the presumptions about each other's character the fact that emma just doesn't care about Tony and all of his grandstanding Avengers nonsense. Don't you have all these other things? And he's getting really pissed about this because he's trying to do what he can and recognizes the seriousness. The fact that, like, you, you know, you brought along two of the big three Avengers to say, hey, stop killing the mutants. Now it's not okay. Mm. You've been doing it the entire continuity, but now I'm upset. Now I don't like it. But then they get so heated that. Tony almost passes out, and this... Looks like he's having a heart attack, yeah. This is another one of the moments that I was just like, damn you, Jerry Duggan. Yeah. No, he's doing it. Anthony, they are sit. They are supporting each other in their times of need. It's like the vulnerability yes. that they have, the way they're finding it for each other, and also just, you know, what I can appreciate about Jerry and his writing is that... 
I don't think like any day on the street these two characters would come together and and be in love. Sure. But their their stubbornness and their hard-headedness but then they're having to acknowledge the weakness that they both have at this moment and like finding that comfort in each other. It's like it's so good, but I also hate it. I hate that I like it. <laughs> I love that Emma hates the manuscript. Mm. I just read your memoir. Uh, it's not very good. <laughs> it's not very good. She takes him to a place in his mind. The to Hall of Armor. Help him relax and calm and recenter himself. As they commit their vows to each other, to their deaths, to Orcus's deaths. Mm-hmm. These two align. And then that next page, we put a ring on it. Yeah, but it's like a power hiding sure. ring. Sure. You know, it's not an engagement ring. There's no will you marry me. I still think it's a business proposition. We've seen preview art of them making out literally the next issue. It could be a business proposition with benefits. All right. Sure. Yeah, we're going to get married. It's a business proposition. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they have to make a stop first. They have to go to the Hellfire Club. <sighs> Because this has been happening in the background, right? This has only been a couple of reveals here and there. Who is the new white king? Here's the thing about this, right? In this conversation, we're getting to the point where Emma is saying like, oh, I've done my due diligence. I gave all my money to Kingpin? Yeah, right. Emma, what? I mean, if you're Emma... Do you fear the kingpin in any way? Other than you, you can fear like his political ambitions, what he can do to you publicly, but she's a wanted woman. And also kingpin is in a snag where he wants to find and have revenge for his wife. Right. So, I mean, he's I at least... I get that, but I just no, no, like, he, I want to give him all my money. Well, so it's either you give all your money and you potentially lose it to kingpin or you have it all taken from you by Orcus. Right. I guess. Which, which is the lesser evil, right? right the the right. potential of it not going to the fascist organization. Is better. Right. How did you feel about Tony saying, oh, my stars and garters? Uh, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. But I mean, I get it. He worked with Beast. Does Kingpin know that Hazel is Emma? I would imagine. Because I don't know. And then they have to defeat the Huns. He says, let's get down to business. Yeah. There you have it. Yes, I see the preview of the next page. Wedding bells. It's actually... Sentence to life. <laughs> Sentence to life. Not a very uh, romantically inspiring tease for the next issue, but it is our next issue. The wedding issue after, I believe, we'll get X-Men before then. Mm. Which makes sense. The other half. This was your book of the week. Tell me why. Because because of the way it made me feel. And because it's very Emma heavy. Sure. I mean, yeah. That um, makes sense. But I think it was the book that surprised me the most. And when I go back and think about like, all right, how did I feel reading all of the books? Because, you know, before we recorded, I did like kind of flip through them all again to say like, all right, what, what was... What headspace was I in when I read each of these? What were my thoughts? What were my feelings? And that just stuck out to me as like, I got like goosebumps during this reading that book. And I I felt like I felt like I had feelings that I wasn't happy to be having. And I felt 
conflicted and and so it made me feel a lot plus I I like seeing all the different vantage points of sort of the underground network coming together sure I like that we're building that in, you know, Avengers and Iron Man and X-Men and like... Well, it's interesting because someone, I remember last week saying a little bit of redundancy, right? Mm. Between, and I, I understand that. It's like you're reading three issues of an event that are covering those intersection points, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that you have these two now prepping for their convergence with that meeting with the other two groups... But I don't know that I actually feel any redundancy other than those maybe two pages across the three different issues. Yeah, it feels like I'm getting new information and new perspectives every time. And it's not even, except for, like you said, that tunnel scene. Right. It's not even like we're seeing the same scenes. And it's building the story of the characters as they're coming together. Yeah. Which is then going to lead them apart to do their own individual missions, I'd assume. Yes. No, I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I think I've been on board with Iron Man. Yeah, I always feel weird about where to place Iron Man in the book stack because, because it's not, it's a not an X-Men book, but it is a Fall of X book and has been for a while at least. But this one doesn't have a... Yeah, no, that's weird. And Deadpool does. It, it doesn't make any sense. Little Little dingy on it. Nope. But I'm looking forward to what else Jerry has in store. He's been building up... This narrative for the last couple of years through Marauders and X-Men and now mm-hmm. Iron Man and then just everything's coming together with even the Hellfire Gala. The fact that you know, it's referenced multiple times that yeah. Tony had called out and said, hey, you're not paying attention to this guy. He's up to something. He's doing right. things He's in the like, background. If you would just listen to me when I told you last year. Right. Which I think is interesting to tie in, you know, what basically serves as Jerry's annual for the year mm. is the Hellfire Gala, the way that he reinvests in the plots, mixes them together. Yeah. No, that was great. DC Cinematic U said Iron Man is a weirdly good X-Men book. Mm-hmm. And that sentence makes absolutely no sense outside of this era, which yeah. 100%. That's true. No one would understand what you're talking about if you said Iron Man's a great X-Men book. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, what? What did you say? What, what did is, Iron Man become a mutant? What, what are you talking about? What has Tony done? Connor 1.0 says that Jerry's slow burn of Emma and Tony's relationship is feeling great. It feels genuinely earned. Yes, Connor, it does. Even Alicia is starting to agree. I think I texted Justin. I can't remember the exact words, but it was something like, I hate that Jerry is making me feel this way or something. And then you told me that I couldn't tell that to anyone because that was a <laughs> husband and wife reveal. <laughs> Yeah, I did say that. And I said it to no one. And then I said it to everyone. Great. I'm upset that Jerry is making me feel things about Tony and Emma. Dot, dot, dot. All caps. I don't want to break. All caps. Tell no one. This is a husband-wife secret. (laughs) I don't want to break. I don't. I feel like I've created a... A world in which I have to be anti Tony and Emma forever, but no. Jerry. Emotions fester into the cracks of your heart and find a way to bloom into something that shows, hey, it's not it it probably is largely business, but there's still some there's some compassion. There's some tenderness. There's some loveliness. There's affection. Mm-hmm. Bruce thirty three asking if that was a till death of Orcus do they part kind of moment. Seems that way. 
And I would agree. Yeah, but like, see, that's what makes it feel like a businessy, like, oh, we're going to be together until Orcus is brought down. And then after that, we out. Well, and then after that, we'll realize we truly became in love and we'll marry for real. Maybe. Maybe, right? Nothing brings people together like tragedy. Remy sent a mashed up image of Captain America and Iron Man telling mutants to avenge their fallen and stand up to Orcus, which I'm here for. Yes. He loves that the Avengers are backing them up in a way that they always failed to do before. And that's been a constant criticism of Avengers in comics in general because they, they, say they want to avenge everyone. They want to stand up for everyone. But literally... Just There's watch the mutants. Giant separate. robots murdering our children, and we're just like, "Hey guys, can we get a shield you over here?" Help over here, or mm. like they're like, "Ooh, sorry, sorry. can't." Sorry, <laughs> Wanda's <laughs> gone crazy again. Whoopsie! <laughs> Gotta go fight an alien. Yep. See you later. The scrolls, you know, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Warline loved seeing Tony and Emma. In their dynamic in Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree, Warline. I, yeah, listen. Warline and I don't often agree on things in comics, but I did like it. Beta Reno said- I get a lot of messages about that, I know. Say that again. I'm going to get a lot of messages about that, I know. Everyone's going to come for me. Don't come for me. I'm not 100% over the, the fence yet. She's in Just it. Just peeking through. She's looking. She's about to fall over. Beta Reno said, dang nabbit. You very nearly made me pick this as the book of the week. I blame Orcus. I blame Orcus. Well, you I know. mean, I picked it as my Alicia, book. Of the Alicia week, so. went fully on the other side, so there you go. X Force. X Force. I love this cover. Oh yeah, this cover is so beautiful. I'm gonna say it now because I'm gonna repeat myself. I love the covers of the next three books, like the art styles, mm. the concepts, the designs. The color and energy on this one in particular really makes it pop, but I think all three stand out in very unique ways. Yes, I would agree with that. The covers are really great. And just conceptually different from each other, right? You have a full spread of people coming at you in this one. You have a side view of people charging out of the gate. Like both both very similar in those respects. The gate charge, yes. right? You even have- Realm of X and X-Force definitely have the gate charge vibes. Very focal point on a Rasputin. Mm-hmm. But then the third one, I mean, Jean Grey, we'll talk about that when we get there. Because that, that cover is just beautiful. Yeah, the cover is out of this world. All right, you ready? X-Force, page turn noise. Oh, Colossiasius. Is in a state that we're being narrated by. You know, Sage is curious, why Why is there someone yelling in here? Well, it's Colossus's internal struggle. He was just singing, okay? Right? He's a bad singer. Yeah, I know, and I just... I love how much he hates it because we have not gotten any indication of this up until recently where he's actually somewhat aware of Mm. and or trying to fight the immortal X-Men issue where he is able to give kind of like a nod or a a tip of a wordplay to Storm and or Kate. What I think is really interesting is in this issue – I don't know if something has changed since he came back from the journey that X-Force took and he like reconnected with the Chronicler. But he it feels like he's very aware. Like he knows of Mikhail's plan. He knows what's going to happen. And it's like he knows that, but he and he feels guilty about it, but he can't say anything about it. Where otherwise he just felt like an unwitting pawn. Right. Right. He was just going through the motions, doing what he was written to be 
doing. And I don't know if that's just an evolved understanding of how the Chronicler's power works mm. or just Piotr fighting back and forth with it. I think it could be both, which I think is interesting. But everyone's getting ready for the gala. Quentin especially, as the old man is looking at all those merged suits that he made. He's got so many more than I wanted to know that he has. You see the little details in the side. You have Nightcrawler over there. You have Jean Grey in her classic green, mm. which I, I don't know, Quentin. What are, what are you doing? Like, just building himself replacements for the entirety of X-Force? And I just feel like... Didn't he throw up the Cerebrax? Like, is Cerebrax still in him? Like, what is going on? Well, because his powers are fritzing, right? Yeah. He's, he's essentially have having no access to the power that is Kid Omega. But he, he chooses to go back into his OG Kid Omega form. Right. He's just, he wants the classic. It's funny to look at him, so you think he's back. You, you could assume he was resurrected, but he mm-hmm. wasn't, right? He wasn't. So he's still the older Quentin choir in this new body. Mm -hmm. So he still has all of those experiences, all of the, essentially if he were backed up on Cerebro and then given a new body. Right. But he can't access his powers in a very weird way. And he doesn't want to talk about it. No. He's really angsty about it. I'm fine. Yeah. Quentin's like new off energy and just how upset he is when Domino pushes it. You have Deadpool and just being silly. Wolverine brooding in the corner. These are just the characters of X-Force. Yeah. And then and Colossus is dropping the knowledge of like, you guys are not going to the gala. Right. I'm going to the gala. You're staying here. And this is where we're starting to get this interesting idea that there are multiple people who are ready to attack this gala because Orgus is coming, but Mikhail was planning it the whole time. The whole time. And I think it's interesting that we all thought Sage was in charge and Colossus was the liaison. And here he is really taking center stage and calling the shots on the council approved plan. Yeah, well, classic men. (laughs) (laughs) This is something that I think is interesting that we did not see at all in the gala issue. This satellite X-Force office right next to... Well, because... Colossus does not let them use it. Right. I'm just saying, proximity-wise, it's right next to the gala. I I gotta say, if I am if I'm Wolverine, if I'm Omega Red, and Colossus is saying, no, don't go in there. I'm screw, going in. Screw that. I'm hopping on whatever jet I can. I'm I mean, well, they do like, fastball special me over there. They do attempt to go. Sure. And yeah. then they're, you know, redirected. They think that's what they're doing. Before we get into what actually happens at the gala, we have a data page where mm-hmm. Mikhail basically puts the chronicler in his place. You thought you were doing stuff. You thought people were following you. No, they're no. following me and you are the megaphone. You were a hot mess express and I gave you purpose. I put you in my little hidey hole. And, and I, I said, do this. Do you want this? Do you want this liquor? Will you write me the next great Russian novel? You control my brother for me. I'll give you all the booze you want. You thought Orcus had plans. We have plans. Stepping up your pen on the global stage. Ooh, snap. Which takes us to our title page. Gate crashing. Friend, farmer, soldier, spy. Written by Benjamin Percy. Art by Robert Gill. Colors, guru, EFX. Letters, Joe Caramagna. This is Joe Caramagna. Daniel Acuna. 
on the cover, the beautiful cover. We'll get some more of his covers going forward, which is great. Now let's get a little detail on Russia's plan, mm. Mikhail's plan, as Colossus is is literally seeding Mikhail's strategy as he plants this gate in a little side. I don't know where where is this right because it's it's separated away that is in proximity it seems like he is that's the x-force little side huddle in the back in the background so it seems like he's on mckinney's like which doesn't make any sense why did we go from but i I guess his his argument of their snipers anyway i'm getting ahead of myself Mm -hmm. he's planting a gate so that mikhail and his army can Take down the Hellfire Gala. So this is the army that Mikhail has been building over the last three years. All of the work with Zeno, all the work with testing new weaponry that you can embed into your soldiers. And some of the members of the team have no interest in sitting around waiting. They don't care exactly what he said. I'm going to go, and if he wants to pull me off the dance floor, let him. Yeah, Domino's going to the farm to actually follow up in real work, and Deadpool is going to the party to dance. We never see him at... The Hellfire Gala's. Maybe I don't know. He doesn't actually make it. Maybe he's off raising his dog child. Yeah, maybe he decided to go on a date with Valentine instead. That's how it falls together. That's where he goes. Colossus at the gala with Jamie Madrox. I am assuming that he's drinking water here or club soda. Maybe. It's just interesting the way that Jamie is, is telling me, you know, I have the best of the best stocked here, but if you want this, whatever it is, enjoy it. And how his nerves are shaken this this detail of the hands mm-hmm. as he grabs and then when called to by professor xavier is uncontrollably shaking yeah almost drops his glass because he doesn't feel good about what's happening because he's fighting it a little bit he is able to express to xavier this, this was my plan here is my my standby oh that's so smart you're a fool Charles Xavier, a damn fool. Ah, Charles. You went from one evil head of X-Force to another. Yeah, that's true. Meanwhile, Domino. Checking out the art museum at the farm. She's putting the pieces together. She's saying something isn't right here. Finding all these paintings of Mikhail, of Kayla, of everything that's been happening. Here's some art that we saw some previews of the Nimrod versus Bishop fight we saw in the trailer, but never saw in the actual Hellfire Gala mm. issue. So I was curious where it would show up. Robert Gill has a very distinct style that I recognized. And here it is. Here it so is. So the you-know-what is starting to hit the fan at the Hellfire Gala, and Colossus is saying, stand down. Yeah. Don't uh, come. Hello. Like We are seeing... Again, not that we needed to see it so soon, the ripping through all of the newly elected X-Men team. Yes. We're like, what? Nimrod is just making a mess of everyone. Colossus is freaking out because he doesn't have the words. He doesn't know what to say. He's like, don't come. This isn't, but this isn't the right thing you're not supposed to be coming to. There was supposed to be another fight that I was going to tell you to stay home for. Right, right. That's not happening yet. We'll see. There are many here who are more than capable of handling this, so stand out. Well, then what was the point? Right. Exactly. It's so confusing. It's so like, Colossus, what? Are you on Orcus's side? Like, that's exactly what I would think in that moment. Mm. It's almost, I don't know, foolish that 
Colossus doesn't have them come to fight that because that would almost help Mikhail's cause. If if they were to have stopped Orcus then and Mikhail came in, then they would have already been, you know, worn down and tired and, and all of that. So why, like, I guess he just doesn't know what to do. Well, I think it also, I mean, God of the Machine, right? It, it moves this subset of X-Force off of the resist train. Right. Right, not commanded by Xavier to walk through the gates. They are now through an alternate gate doing something that is separated from what everybody else is doing. Right, right. And Domino, she finds Kayla. Yeah, so doing some exploration, finding this interesting spot in the ground where flowers uh, don't seem to be growing as well. Mm-hmm. Must investigate and finding the dead body of Colossus's girlfriend. This isn't you, but you did it all the same. So she knows. She knows this isn't of Colossus's accord. She's putting the pieces together. He's being manipulated. Yeah. Just reading about the Hellfire Gala deaths in this next data page. Mm-hmm. All of the details that the logbook is able to to pick up and, and scan and have surveillance on. All the different pitch screams of registering in pain and terror and then exactly what you said should happen is happening wolverine she's getting pissed what do you mean let's go do this what are we doing and i'm not gonna be a spectator i love that line from her right i concur sage concurs yeah i'm not here to stop you i'm here to lead the charge i have a new way let's go let's go this way as colossus leads them into this side access point why aren't you flying quentin a little nod to the fact that something is a longer game plan with his story right and he's he's saving energy everyone i love the fact that we get sage separated from the group last minute call from domino telling her don't trust anything colossus says he's not to be trusted at all because the reveal of the x-force team walking in what what are you doing why are you doing this, brother? Yeah, this is not what's supposed to happen. The shock and betrayal on Wolverine's face, the confusion on Quentin's face, and the anger on Omega Red's. Omega Red is not happy. Oh, I mean, he's also excited to tear some stuff up. Our plans have changed. Everything has changed. And I don't know where to go from here. Is Colossus saying that to X-Force? Is Colossus saying that to Mikhail? Is he saying that to everybody? Uh, he's saying it to Mikhail, I think. He, right. But also... And is it him or is it the Chronicler? He's like, hey, you needed to be updated on this. I'm back in Russia and wherever I am, my little gulag doing a play-by-play, but have no ability to relay that information to you about what's going on. I don't know what to do here. Also, it's kind of interesting because with the Chronicler, does he see through Colossus's eyes or is he able to just perceive? Right. He's like, he living in it. There's so many questions around his abilities that I feel like could be explored in an interesting way if we get to a point where we actually get to speak with him in a way. Yeah. What's that Krakoan? The Chronicles of Colossus. Oh, snap. Which, I mean, if you've seen... Actually, no, that's not the cover I was thinking of. But this this doesn't even look like it has anything to do with the Chronicles of Colossus as we see Deadpool, Sage, and Domino tearing things up. I, I thought this was really good. 
I really like seeing where these characters were the whole time because it was ridiculous that they wouldn't be on site to respond to this attack. It it felt like a plot hole of, okay, you have your murder squad not murdering the murderers. Your defenses are not here. I'm so curious about what happens with this plot now and appreciate the fact that we have two big reveals of this story, two mm-hmm. sections of the team, Kayla and Mikhail's involvement. Like We now have a split narrative and focus on who the enemy is, but no base to operate from. Right. And I like that even even Mikhail is like flabbergasted by what Orcus has done. Right, right, right. They don't realize it, but they're spoiling everybody's plans. Seriously. It's like everybody's fumbling and like now what happens, you know? Yeah. But I... I really enjoyed this because I wanted Domino to find Kayla. I wanted to get more information on the Chronicler. Like, these are things that I didn't want to wait for after the fall to, no, to explore. Absolutely. So I'm excited that, like, we're getting all of this at once. Like, it is definitely a brain explosion of all the things. But but then if you think about it, so the details that are revealed but not dealt with. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm talking about, about pacing to an ending. This is now, okay, now we're we're at an exciting point where the ending, you feel it's near because mm-hmm. of, I'd imagine that Colossus, maybe Beast again on the other side is Ben's other big narrative at whatever end is coming soon. But mm-hmm. this feels like a big punctuation point. Yeah, for sure. Vaderino wants to know, why is Colossus finally revealed now that Krakoa has fallen? Rage! <laughs> Right? Yeah, I don't know. Because you got to get it all at once. Because how are they going to deal with it, too? Right. I think that's the big question is, what are they going to do about it? What can they do about it? And what happens to these mutants that are now potentially under Mikhail's control? Because he has, like, what, a thousand operatives, he says? Yeah, he has a lot. Quinton has no powers. You know, Omega Red and Wolverine can do a lot of damage, but I don't know if they can do all that, plus against Mikhail and likely Colossus. Right. At what point does Colossus break free? Does he break free? I don't does think the so. Chronicler, Chronicler break free? Yeah, I mean, you'd hope so. I feel like that's where there could be some empathy built in. It's bananas. P-Stamp didn't have a question, but they really loved X-Force this week and also really love our podcast. Hey, thanks. And I love hearing that. That's so cool. I, I am always blown away when people say stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I know. Like, me too. It's just, it, it makes it... So much more real that it's not just me and you talking about comics because that's all it is, right? Mm -hmm. It's really all it has ever been is just we talk about comics, but then there's so many other people that we engage with and talk to about comics. Yeah, it's cool. I really love the community that is formed in this like conversational, really fun dynamic. And it is it is really great to know that it's having an impact on people. They're enjoying it. So thanks for saying that. Jonathan Elvey wants to know who is Colossus's brother. So Mikhail Rasputin mm-hmm. is, uh, he was presumed to be dead, but I think was in an alternate universe or something along that line. 90s comics, right? Uh, he has some ability to manipulate reality in Ooh. some way. He also just has never felt a part of the group that his brother and sister have fallen into. Ah, right? He hasn't been brought into the X family. No, there was a period of time around when he was first revealed to still be alive. I remember this story specifically. I haven't read it in years, but I remember and Sunfire was there. I think they found him in Japan or something. This is like 
early 90s. But yeah. And Sunfire was there. Mikhail is basically trying to build his own shadow government within Russia. And that yeah. was always that was the reveal around Lives and Deaths of Wolverine was that he's been doing this thing in the background the entire time. Warlion wonders if it's just him or did Colossus seem like he was free from the mind control in that last page. And I mean, you just kind yeah, of said similarly. Wow, you saying. guys like, you guys agreed again? Oh no. What has <laughs> happened? It's good. It's, it's good stuff. It's great. It's great. Um, yeah, I just feel like this whole issue has had this looser tie on him. Yeah, he's just been like floating in and and in and out of the control and at least in our understanding, like maybe we just haven't had enough internal monologue of Colossus. We have hardly any. Right? But that's a lot of what we're getting is that he knows like I have to do this thing and I really don't want to do it and I right. don't know how to stop it. So maybe he's been having that internal monologue the whole time. Right. And I I still feel like is it that Colossus was free or was it that the Chronicler just didn't know how to proceed? Like mm. I covered to get us here. I got the X-Force members over here. We don't have the gala anymore. We can't right. do that plan. Orcus has better plans than we did. Right. Orcus the, outplanned us. Yeah. Maybe if we had struck a little earlier, we could have blown up Orcus's spot, but they kind of no got the jump on us. Realm of X. Realm. Dun, dun, dun. Well, let's just talk about it real quick again. This cover. I love this cover. It's amazing. Action-packed, the hard lines add a ton of stylized detail. Mm-hmm. This team in general, we only see Magic, Danny, and I believe Marrow. Oh. Marrow, I think. I think that might be a bone spike in her hand. Mm. Mary has longer hair. Yes. I initially thought curse, but they don't show up at the same time. You can also see dust here in the back. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Page, turn, noise. Am I dead? Where are we? Magic finding herself. A theme, perhaps? Hmm. Heaven. This would be heaven if it weren't for all the screaming. And then, oh no, I'm not dead. There's a battle going on. Right. And everybody's wearing fancy gala outfits. Yes. And and who... Who's, who are we fighting and why are we fighting them? And should we be fighting them? Are they just defending themselves? We don't really know what's going on. I do love that because yes. it's it. so specifically in relation to dust as we get over the next couple pages. But this idea of, OK, like who who is the bad guy and why and how right. do we know that we're just going to intervene? We're just going to say, like, we know. Yeah, we're just going to show up and start fighting people and and. The, this this dude's over here on a horse telling me to hide, but you want me to fight, and I'm supposed to just like knock them all out. And of course, they're attacking us. We're strangers in their land. Like, it's a lot. It's confusing. They don't know where they are. They don't know how many of them should be together. And where's Curse? And it's very disorienting. But you know, they're powering through. At least. At least most of them, except for Mary, who's just watching from the distance, just cackling about it, like ha ha ha. Can you please do something? What about magic? She's not doing anything. Uh, well, you know, she doesn't have access to her powers and she is kind of thrown off by that. Right. I, I think so. This is what a lot of people, myself included, are like, uh, OK, but magic and her stepping discs are only a small portion of what magic has for her abilities. Mm -hmm. And then so I wonder, OK, so the 
fact that she doesn't have access to her powers in Vanaheim, which makes sense. Okay, mm-hmm. the the fact that this is outside of the the reaches of Limbo and or her accesses to her power. Does she have her soul sword? I don't think she can access her soul sword. Right. I don't know if she still has training. She still can fight, but hand to hand. I don't know. Right. It's, what it's just, weapon? I, she is a weapon. She's a killer of men. It's hard, though, like to have confidence in yourself when you rely on like how often has magic not had her powers? Like when has she had to fight without those things before? Sure. I just I feel like as someone who trains and has trained for years in hand to hand combat and fighting to to have given, you know, short swords when in that Ten of Swords story with Doug. But still, I would I would expect something a little bit more in between where we are and where we could be or, or you know, like kind of being completely helpless and being like the person that could potentially lead this team Mm -hmm. having been a war captain of Krakoa being in this she is lost in her unknown of what's going on with myself how does she feel in relation to trying to access her powers and not being able to I think it's interesting I just I I feel like she's almost completely taken off the board in a way that doesn't add up 100% to me Mm. I mean this this issue really it really like hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting when I read it and so I think I'm perceiving it in a different way than I guess most people because because you're identifying with it right like being in a place right now where like let's not that like dance is my superpower but like not being able to access the thing that makes me feel whole and feeling like a part of myself is missing and not knowing how to move forward and to feel successful when I feel like that part of me is missing, it's very debilitating. And so though she might have these other skills and she might be able to use them and maybe as the storyline continues, she'll figure out how to come to terms with that, this like moment of shock this feeling of like who am I without this thing is a very real thing that can just make you feel absolutely frozen and and so I relate to that and I I empathize with that and like when it when we get to the page it's a little further on where it says like magic felt helpless that like really struck a chord with me and I, I like just started crying just reading it because it's an inexplainable not necessarily logical feeling of helplessness and of confusion and of loss of identity when you you a part of you is just gone and you don't know when you're going to be able to access it again you're so you have fear swirling in you you have confusion you you don't know what's going on and pair that with the trauma of what just happened at the gala, her inability to be able to help people. What she wanted to do was to get everyone out of there. She failed at that. I'm sure she's racking her brain going, why did this happen? Did this, did something actually, like, how did I lose my power? This has been happening, like, it's been fritzy for a while. I should have done something about that before. Like, there are so many things probably going on in her mind that, yeah, she might be able to punch a guy in the face, but mentally she's just not there right now. 
Yeah. I get it. So, Mary, do something. Fire up those hands and light up some trolls. This this description of when someone attacks with overwhelming force, they're usually the bad guys. Okay, but... What are you about to do? Right. Right. And I feel like that's the point that... And especially when we see in a couple pages through the fights, the devastation that Dust is able to bring with her power Mm -hmm. to really just rip up everyone who doesn't lay down their weapons. But I do like that little like, lay down your weapons. And if you do, you survive. You know, like at least there's that contingency in her power, you know, that she's like, if you're not if you're non-combative, you survive this. Right. Mary's upset. Why did I even get up? Why did I even try to do this? <laughs> what is the point? And then we we start to learn that uh, these four Prophesized. are meant to be here. They are here. With them by our side, the White Witch does not stand a chance. How, how soon did you suspect who the White Witch was? I had thoughts that it could be who it is. Saturnine. Yeah. I was trying to leave it suspenseful. Hopefully people have read the book. And if they <laughs> haven't, I have no qualms with spoiling it because that's You're what we're listening. doing. Right. Um, yeah, I had thoughts about it, but I w- honestly, I wasn't 100% sure until I saw the silhouette of the cape. Oh, uh, I started to feel it. It's just, it's the magic mm-hmm. elements. And honestly, through this, I got almost, I don't want to say equal parts, but... A melding of sorts between Excalibur and Exterminators, mm. right? Girls trip. They're not friends, but they've been brought together on this quest. They have some some snapbacks at each other. It is very much so Excalibur infused with yes. all the magic in the realm. Saturnine showing up. It just feels like a, a meeting point between those things. If I was playing the improv game Convergence, this would be in, t- in between those two titles. <laughs> this is your A to C. No, but I appreciate your thought. Oh <laughs> uh, well, all right. I'll it's have a, to. I'll have to explain convergence at another time. Yes, it's a title page. Fall of X, violence of victory. The White Witch, written by Tarun Grombeck, art by Diogenes Neves, colors Rain Barreto, letters Clayton Coles. DC. Stephanie Hans on that cover. So who who is with you? Is this the one called Curse? Is the one called Curse with you? Well, we don't know. Where is Curse? She's just having the time of her life. She's frolicking through the forest. She doesn't know where her friends are, but she don't care. This is constantly my mindset. Like, that's future Justin's problem. (laughs) Screw that guy. I don't got to worry about this. I'm having a good time. Oh, I love like it seems like Curse's powers are amplified in this world. Hmm. You know, like or at least like nothing like Curse exists here. That's for sure. They don't know how to deal with the abilities that she has and she's using them more freely. I don't know if this is related to her having worked in the altar. You know, that, that yeah. was the the hint of what would happen to her after X-Men Green, but She's not afraid of these these wolves. She's going to get right up in their face as they growl at her, and then they have terrible breath. So they drown. So wash your mouth. Bubble mouth wolves. 
the rest of our, our team are four with magic trudging through the forest. Mary is unhappy about it. And this one guy jumps over and is like, ride my horse, please. Just just, just hold on. I'll lead you. I, ah. I mean, to them, these they're like royalty. royalty. They've been they've been prophesized for decades, they're hundreds of years. Here, which I just have to say, I really love about this story that it's it's like full on side quest. It's like, listen, you got dumped over here because of what happened with Orcus, but you're gonna deal with this completely other thing. Which is funny because a lot of people didn't like Excalibur for that purpose. Mm-hmm. The fact that it was so removed from Krakoa. And maybe it's because this is a miniseries and this is just, okay, y'all are going to go do this thing. Hopefully it ties in somehow. What is Saturnine up to? What has she been doing? How does she even get here? All those questions. What's up with Betsy and Rachel? Where are they tie in? Right. That'd be dope if they showed up. Danny flexing one of her, not really powers, but like kind of spiritual connection to Mm -hmm. animals. This is why she and Rain are able to communicate when Rain is in wolf form. Yes. So so she's asking the animals to help find Curse. This here and then also throughout the book, and it's what ties it to Excalibur in my mind, gave a lot of Dungeons and Dragons vibes, mm-hmm. right? This this is your party. These are the skills you have. Yes. Being able to speak to the animals and use them as scouts, the whole swords and sandals vibe from these Vikings. Yeah. As they arrive at House Molt. They're going to they're going to learn a little more about the worlds that they have entered. Vanaheim. But before that, Curse goes up against some trolleys. <laughs> you want to boil me? You want to eat me? You're not going to do that. Listen, one of us is going to be hurt and it's not going to be me. Yeah. I just so Curse is brand new to the Krukoan era. Right? She was mm-hmm. created by Jerry in Marauders number one, she actually appears. Ah. And she's she's the one that is laughing. Yep. About Kate the fact can't, can't go the through gate. gates, yep. Uh, on Krakoa. And has just gradually evolved, especially because Jerry started X-Men Green and embedded her in that story. And then yeah. now has full identity of her own, is exploring what that power is, because it's a really interesting power it that really has is great consequences to her so either i hurt or you hurt right and then she calls them a useless pile of stones and then they become a useless pile of stones yeah (laughs) just every opportunity for mary to be upset about things she's going to use it (laughs) as dust reappears at house malt getting all her dust in all the food and drink that everybody's enjoying it's very upsetting she gets the recap. Hey, we're in a civil war between the veneer and the white witch. It's a land of divination. Sassy marrow too. The bargain bin Bormir over here is on high alert. I love that line. <laughs> Tell us what you know. Give us the deets. How did you know we were coming? What's our story to you? I think it's time you told us everything. As our white witch. I mean, this this is the clear giveaway. Yes. The silhouette for me was like, ah, yes, yes, it is Saturnine. Yes, it's the it's the hands, it's the the little points on the sleeves, it's the frilly on the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't do anything to help you with that, but I'm going to make her hurt too. 
Let's get a little prophecy action, shall we? Trebin's tales of past and future seeing, this history of the veneer, the prophecies of demise, original prophecies and their current prophecies, the, the four follow me because I've got something to show you. We get some details on this data page about the prophecy in warfare. So the action or inaction, seeing what's coming and trying to avoid it or trying to outsmart fate. And is that even possible or are you just delaying the inevitable? By not acting, are you hurting yourself longer in the end? Mm-hmm. So we know there's a battle. We know there's the White Witch. We know they asked about curse, but there's also another entity, another being, another something that brings chaos. So my question is, are they referencing curse in that? Or is that additional entity going to end up being magic? I think that's open to be so. I just, I feel like curse is the ultimate weapon, the, mm-hmm. the power that Saturnine is trying to manipulate, the White Witch is trying to use, mm-hmm. right? And the I think the second data page that talks about the realization of the weapon being sentient, this philosophy in the story, I think it must be her, but is magic regaining her confidence a part of the story that we don't know that tips the scales for them? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Because they talk about, at first, they thought it was like, like a weapon. Like a weapon or uh, not a sentient being. Right. But there's statues of the four. And Mary's a little butt face and she's like, ha ha, magic, you didn't even have a statue. You're worthless. Rude, Mary. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely rude. But also at the same point, it seems to be in Mary's new character voice of what's going on here. Even fate deemed you insignificant. Sure. That's what she says rude as the white eagles come in carrying dead bodies dropping them into the camp and stealing a boy why why would they do that it's all a plot it's all a ploy from the white witch to get cursed to use her power so we see later on that the white eagles bring this boy to curse where she is and strike her, make her act. Make her mad. So she says, pluck you. And indeed, they lose all their feathers. And in turn, drop the boy. So when she uses her powers in a positive way, that's her hurting. Yes. So she sends the boy home. And the pain that you see the agony in her face, mm-hmm. the, the detail in this art of just how the tears streaming down her face as Saturnine comes in to save her, to ease this pain, to console the weapon she now is trying to wield. Just the demonic smile of Saturnine while she's like holding curse close. L- let me take you home. Yeah. No, no, don't go with her. No, don't trust her. Our last data page, again, talking about the fact that the the chaos plays. The chaos is righteous and open and bright. It is not something that is inanimate. It's something that is alive. So to me, it feels like the chaos is magic. Like curse is another entity, but I don't know. 
Maybe I, not. I do not believe so, but I think it's a little vague to leave, be left open. I just feel like the the chaos laughs and plays and does things whenever, you know, like that was curse frolicking through the fields. I guess the only reason that I'm hesitant to like latch onto that idea is because in the beginning of the issue, one of them says, is the one called curse with you? So if the chaos is an entity that they don't know and they know curse's name, like how can those two things be the same? I don't know that they've revealed everything that they know, right? Would they, would they trust knowing that the four are aligned with curse in whatever way that they are knowing that she is the key to their demise or kind of can be manipulated as a weapon. Is that part of the prophecy that's not shared widely? Maybe. I don't know. What makes you think it's magic? Because I, maybe I misinterpreted it, but I thought that it was that whatever this entity was, was what was going to save them. And the idea that magic doesn't have a power and doesn't have an identity and has no role in this, but yet there is a mystery uh, entity being that does have an important role just feels like that's how magic fits into the story. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, we want her to have something actually other than, you know. Right, being sad. Being sad and lost. What's that Krakoan, babe? Sparks fly. Ooh. Big picture. I mean, I really enjoy this issue. I I really like the story. I, I love me a magical realm. Like I said, I like that this is an offshoot. It's a side quest. I'm into it. I like the dynamics. Like getting dust and marrow. I don't really know anything about Typhoid Mary. So nope. that's interesting. And and I've been waiting for a moment to really have Danny Moonstar front we and center. We have all been waiting for her. Right. So I'm just saying like, yes. And I, I'm interested to see where this journey with magic goes. And just at a, the point I'm at personally in my life right now, it's cool to have a character who I can relate to. In a way that I haven't had a had a relationship with a character before. Hmm. Yeah, I thought this had a lot of elements of things that have come before it, kind of combining into this. I said it before; it, it feels like Excalibur with the all-girl, wild character vibes of Exterminators, plus more magic than ridiculousness. And they're not really friends in the same way. It's big offshoot energy much like Excalibur was. So it feels separate in a way that I don't love, but hopefully it'll bring something back into the bigger picture. The curse exploration, the magic unrest, honestly, Dust and Mary, Danny and Marrow, the character work <laughs> is my favorite part of it all yeah. so far. I look forward to what else is brought forward and played with as they explore this plot. The, the Dust element, as I was rereading this the other day, that's when I posted about it on the Instagram of just how much dust was struggling with the, am I going to unleash my awesome power on the right. wrong people? Right. And to know that she must carry that weight with her right. at all, all times. Time. I thought it was just really deep on that one particular character and a couple of other shades of interesting with Mary, with Marrow, with curse. Yeah. I do really love the character dynamics. And I love that you said that it's like, <laughs> Excalibur and Exterminator smushed together. Right. That's so fun. 
Gilbert Rojo 1022 thinks that this cast is perfect. I want them as a team going forward. Mm. Yeah, well, I don't, you probably won't get that, but you get them for five issues. You, so. you get the five right now, and we'll see what happens after. Because I can't imagine that these all would like hang out for drinks afterwards. Yeah, I feel yeah. like whenever they get back, they're going to be like, all right, bye. Yeah. Connor, see you guys never. Connor 1.0 says, Mary is the exact opposite of how I'd act if I was in a real life D&D opportunity. <laughs> exactly, Connor. I'd be like, all right, so how much gold do I have? Where can I loot? What? Uh, give me that horse. <laughs> I'll take that horse. I'll take yes, that horse. You. I can carry more weight. Yeah, I know magic. Let's go. <laughs> Pete Woods 86 is wondering why Saturnine is a bad guy in a book without Betsy. How did she end up here? Yeah. Uh, so... I wanted to go back. I didn't, but I wanted to go back to revisit where we last left the fight between Saturnine and Merlin and being ousted from her point of power in Otherworld and in the kind of like that spire. Mm. She was the omniversal majestrix, right? Yeah, and, and her and Betsy ended on okay terms yeah, yeah right they weren't hating they weren't each other really in love for like a hot second for a hot second because she thought you could be brian mm-hmm. i could pretend you're brian yeah so i feel like it in my mind it makes sense like saturnine was just like all right well i don't know what's happening here morgan's gone crazy i don't want anything to do with this realm i'm gonna peace out and find someone else to take over and it's also interesting you know i don't claim to know how different subsections of the broader Marvel universe connect, right? right? So you have the 10 realms and then you have other world, which sits kind of like outside everything. Right. How do you cross between those realms? What is Saturnine's ability to travel between realms, universes, the multiverse? I'm not sure. Is it a different version of Saturnine than the one that we had read earlier? Mm. There are other versions. Oh, that's a crazy plot twist. Bruce 33 thought the spotlight on Curse was so much fun. She's such a fun character. I'm hoping to see more. Yeah. I think she just has so much unique energy about her. The, the power specifically. Right. And I think it's so interesting that she, her power is to like do evil, but she so badly wants to do good. To do, yeah, right. She wants to be a positive force. And, and the fact that she's a child. Like, like she visibly, visibly, like looks like a child. Yes, yes. So right. when she's you know, frolicking and having a grand old time and doesn't have the experience or the maturity to understand the weight of the decisions that she makes or the words that come out of her mouth and how they impact things. Right. And so, I, I just think that in a in a world where everybody else has been vaguely aged up, right? You have mm-hmm. new mutants like Magic and Danny perpetually stuck in this adolescence adulthood limbo mm-hmm. marrow you could throw her in that same even dust who is both younger generations of mutants marrow i'm not sure how old she is when she joined because she's been with the morlocks previously but mm. it, it's just interesting to have a character who has that chaotic youthful energy yes jp didomasso wants to know what saturnine is up to in realm of x has she given up ruling otherworld that's the part that made me curious was like, okay, did she give up on fighting for it or was she completely ousted? I feel like I need to revisit Knights of X or Yeah. I don't even know when it happened. It wasn't it was before BBCB. 
I think it was Knights of X. I think that that was the quest to regain or restore Did some power. CB. Betsy brought a Captain Brain. Vanerino said it was really enjoyable. If Curse were to get a mentor, who would you rather she have, Magic or Wanda? Ooh. Right? Wanda. Really? I feel like... Okay. Magic has the I'm a child in a demonic situation trying to learn how to navigate the worlds that I've been thrust into younger than I should have been thrust into it. But Wanda has an understanding of chaos magic and I think the thing that is important in Curse's story is her words have a lot of weight and understanding how to manipulate her words to utilize her power in a way that doesn't cause her pain but still produces a specific outcome is something that Wanda could help her with more than magic. Right. It, it seems more like specificity of magic incantations. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you don't just throw around no more mutants. Right. Uh, you learn from that and you pass yeah. that on to the next generation. Yeah. That has big effects, yeah. you know? I feel like Magic and Curse would be best friends. Yes. Or would be like drinking buddies. For sure. Once Curse He's ages older. up. Yeah, sure, yeah. in like 100 years. <laughs> Time is crazy. What even is it? Mike Loves Mariah Carey wants to know if Dust is an Omega Level mutant or not. She's not on the original list, the, the list that we've now been pointing to that Hickman established in House of X number one. But also Rachel Summers isn't on that list mm-hmm. either. And she is identified as the original Omega Level mutant by Nimrod. Eee. So debatable. Also, Franklin <laughs> Richards is on that list as an Omega Level mutant. He's no longer, no a, longer mutant. a mutant. So mm-hmm. I think anytime you try to put a hard and fast rule on anything, it's funny. I was talking with someone online today about who the smartest person in the Marvel Universe is and how they keep on going back and forth. Are like Hank Pym, Reed Richards, Tony Stark, Riri Williams, Moon Girl, right. like all these people. That- I mean, let's be honest. This is Moon Girl. She's nine years old. Look what she's accomplished at nine years old. Sure. Okay. But <laughs> and then it's like, okay, because she is at a, a further starting point than other she people will, at that age. She will become exactly the so smartest. But and then smartest as a term is such a vague idea. Like nobody is the smartest in everything. Right. Right. You have specialty. You have things that you, you know, Tony is an engineer. Right. Who's the best physicist? Right. So that the think, best chemist. Right. And I feel like that is part of the conversation and who has strength in what. Mm. But and also going back to Omega Level. No, she's not. <laughs> Maddie Bond is sadly disappointed in Realm of X. Some fun beats with Typhoid Mary and Dust, but my girl Ilyana never scared and helpless, even without her powers. Lots of voices felt off. Mm. And, and I've felt a lot of that too, especially with magic. I, I get what you're saying that maybe at the beginning she would be completely lost. In those first handful, in that first scene, you know, all of the, the chaos around her. But I think at some point, either on the trek back to house malts or even in that house she would find something that she could lean on and have something that she could provide or bring to that conversation but i also think being there and being the fifth person in a group that is being referred to as the four and hearing the prophecy and seeing all these things and basically being to and mary making fun of her and basically being told over and over again that she is insignificant in this story is 
that stuff like really messes with someone, you know, like why am I here? What is my purpose? Who am I without my power? And then I'm going to show up and all y'all are just going to talk about the other four people and how important they are and how they're destined and meant to be here. They've been prophesized to be here, but I mean nothing. Yeah. I think it's just a lot for her to deal with. I understand that magic is usually a go-getter character, but I think every character has to have their moments of feeling Sure, sure. And then if you need it in the narrative too, I just, even as you were saying that, I was thinking like, okay, but she probably had similar interactions and relationships with demons in limbo and with Belasco making her feel worthless and trapped and scared and, and having risen from that and, and found a way to be strong in that. Uh, but there was no like, Belasco wasn't like, look at this story. You're not in it. You know, there wasn't like a tangible. I don't know. I think that it's just an it's a different story arc for her and it's it's a way for her to find you know it's interesting in this idea that she she let go of her ties to limbo in an effect in an effort to find a new identity for herself and now she has no access to her powers and so she's even more confused as to who she is sure starting at square one jean gray jean gray jean gray what were you, what did you say to me the other day? Okay. After you first read it? So after I first read it, I said, I think the reason that I didn't like this book is because I couldn't tell as a person who only has like a very vague knowledge of X history, I couldn't tell if this was like a retrospective on things that have actually happened or if this was a giant retcon because I had like faint inner workings of knowing like, Okay, I know the OG5. Okay, I know at some point Charles put a block in Jean's mind. Okay, I know she was the phoenix. I know she struggled with that. I know all these things happened, but I don't know the details of them. And so reading it, I was like, is this just like a like a retrospective on Jean? Am I supposed to be understanding that these things are retconned? Why is the tone of this so important? Like I felt... I didn't know enough about Jean's history to be able to feel connected to it. And I didn't like the tone making her feel like a villain and making her feel way too Charles Xavier for me. Oh, of this specific action set? Yeah. Yes. So, um, can I say some stuff at the top to just maybe help understand where this falls and how this fits? Yes. But before you say that, I also just want everyone to know. So y'all listen. When I was about to read this issue, the night before, I said to Justin, "Here, I think I said this on the Patreon, I said, Jean Grey is either going to be amazing, I'm going to love it, or I'm going to hate it. And you were like, there's no in-between. And I was like, there's no in-between. And then I texted Justin after I read it, and I said, what do you think it was? And he said, you hated it. <laughs> yeah. But I also recognize that you're not a Jean fan. No, but I have been, like... Jean at the Hellfire Gala and Jean lately, sure. I've been into. I just, I don't know. But say say what you're going to say. So, you know the Phoenix. Yes. You know what the White Hot Room is? No. White Hot Room is outside of realities. It's basically the Phoenix's base of operation. Kind of like astral plane for the Phoenix? Basically. Okay. Also, where some of the avatars that she's come into connection with can reside. Okay. So I believe that, and especially as we see in this in this page that's the double spread in the first couple pages, where we see all these memories of Jean, 
and you see a gene figure revisiting them. Mm-hmm. I believe that Jean is in the white hot room trying to search within her past where she made the wrong decision. That's the premise of the book. She's trying to find where in my life did I make the wrong choice that led us to this end result. This first issue is questioning, okay, when we came back from the future, when the O5 right, were sent like back. I knew that happened. When the O5 were sent back to their original past, Cable, Kid Cable told them they needed to have everything removed from their minds. They couldn't have the knowledge of the future, the training of what they learned, the what's going to happen. So she thought as this first issue likely will have a different point in her life with each issue, mm-hmm. what if I decided that that was the wrong choice and I went against Cable's recommendation and I said, no, we're going to keep those memories, those experiences, and we're going to use that to benefit our lives in the future. So none of this that's happening in this issue actually happened. Gene is just like correct playing with an idea of this could have been an alternate version of our lives. And so I don't know if this has any ability to write over what actually happened or if this is just Gene's playing this potential out. What would happen if I made this choice instead? What would happen if I made this choice instead? It's essentially a what if we kept our memories of the future? That's this issue. Okay. Does that help? Does that? I mean, it helps in my understanding, but it doesn't necessarily make me enjoy it anymore. I don't, I don't know what no. it was, but like I just couldn't get into it. I just, I, I, there wasn't anything that like pulled me in excitement. You know, I, I well, uh, pause for a moment. Let's talk about the cover and then we'll do the page turn noise and then we'll get into it a yep. little. So the cover is amazing. Yep. The colors are gorgeous. The the phoenix as Jean's hair, like all of that. Yeah, flying around. Breathtaking. Just, just forming her face in the wind. Gorge. Gorgeous. Page turn noise. And then also to talk about, we haven't really talked about the art in general this episode. Mm. Trying to <laughs> not rush through, but like, like catch up on. Quickly. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But Bernard Chang's art and... Was it Marcelo Maolo's colors? I feel like are just beautiful throughout this. Right. Yeah, There's so many great pages. Okay. I agree completely. So so back to what I was saying before. Like these first couple pages, like this first upside down page, this like idea of the mind maze, this we're cutting into like as Jean's like dying breath is happening. We're seeing the scope of her life. Like I was in it. I was like, okay, I I like this. This is interesting. I'm going to learn about Jean Grey. And maybe it is, maybe I do need to go back and read it with that idea that like, this is a what if. I think think that would help. Because I couldn't decipher what I was supposed to know and what was supposed to be new information. That's why when I asked, when I said that, I didn't think that I was going to change how you felt about the issue because you Mm. didn't reread it with that knowledge, right? That knowledge is going to now affect your perspective on what's happening in this title. Because she's playing through all these key points, right? So the this double page spread, these segments of her mind, of her history, you see some some big call outs. It's interesting. The one that I do want to point out, 
the image of Scott and Madeline holding baby Cable with Storm in the background in kind of like the top left-hand corner. Mm-hmm. Jean has those memories because she reabsorbed the part of the phoenix that went to Madeline after she died on the dark side of the moon. Or the blue blue area of the moon. Mm. Pink Floyd, not X-Men. Mm-hmm. But all these different memories, especially specifically these conversations with Beast from the Future as Blue Beast wanting to bring them back. These, the fact that you know her powers first came on when her friend died and she died, essentially died with her friend trying to ease the pain. Mm-hmm. The mental block that Xavier had put to limit her access to her telepathy, knowing that it would lead to an overwhelming force later down the line. This is less so a history lesson, more so just here are some high points that we will likely play through out the series. I expect Madeline to play in. Mm-hmm. We've seen her on a cover coming up. I'd expect that this might be all that we have of the Kid Cable business, but Cable as a character in general, I would imagine would come back in. Emma Frost in that top right corner mm-hmm. playing a part. And so from this next page, this is where we start the what if. What if I ignored Cable? The time-displaced 05 returned to the past. What follows is an alternate story of what would happen if, when they came back to their time, they kept their training, their knowledge, their skills, and worked to change the future of what happens that they saw. So they now, the fact that this, this danger room sequence a little bit further is a breeze for them because they've trained in the future. They've actually trained with legit threats and mm-hmm. fought people and were trained by Magneto for a period of time. And... We're working together. They're a well-seasoned team now, even though they're still their teenage selves. Title page. Flames of Fear. Mind Maze. Written by Louise Simonson. Art by Bernard Chang. Colors by Marcelo Mayolo. Letters, Ariana Maher. This is Ariana Maher. Amy Reader on that cover. This, This panel of The Danger Room. It was one of the preview pages. It's one of my favorite panels. It's great. Yeah. Super action packed. Definitely like gives me 05 comic vibes. Like like the way I'm pretty sure there are images that are similar to this and some of the things that we've read for like Grey Milk and Lane, for example. Like I know I've seen Beast in this kind of flipping over flipping moment. Right. Yeah. It's just there's so much more ready for this fight. Like, this is the action of the future versions of them in mm-hmm. their past selves. So, there's a problem. Magneto's out there. He's doing big things. We got to go do something about it. They've hidden from Xavier that they know all these things, that they have these access powers, that they have this knowledge of the future. Gene is controlling literally everything here. So, they're sent out. They're ready to fight against Magneto. He's got a helmet. No problem. This ethical line of using my powers no problem i can take his helmet off and shut his brain down yeah that's freaking bananas it's insane but it's it's from someone that sees where this is going to go how this is potentially going and i haven't read all of the 05 in the future stuff mm-hmm. i've only read bits and pieces we did the the first retcon wranglers episode on that first issue when they're brought back to the past yes but to know that this type of sentiment from a superior thinking mutant is going to create a lot of negative human sentiment. And that's what she's trying to, to stop. 
yes, it is. I think it's the old saying of absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. To have access to this wide range of power, but not know when is the right time to use it and when is not, or to what degree that comes from her youth and the the lack of experience that she actually would have if she had developed with these powers along the continuum of her time. So she does this intense attack on Magneto and it sets everyone off. Right. Everyone's like, what the heck, Gene? Yeah. He's blank. What about the witnesses? Oh, I got them too. And so to have this intense power and to be unchecked with being able to use it, she's like, oh, it's fine. I can do this and I can do this. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It gives very like evil villain vibes though. I mean, the same way that Magneto is seen as a hero and or a villain, right? She is seeing this with future knowledge. See, She is seeing what she can do now to prevent the darkness of the future. How can she control public opinion about mutants? How can she Mm -hmm. try to help build up who mutants are in the minds of the general people? Even the PR work trying to say, you know, we're, we're mutants. We're here. We're people. We're here to help here to stop the bad guys. So now we're, we're completely in an offshoot. None of this has happened in continuity previously. There is some elements that are true. The fact that Warren has this inheritance, it's largely what helps set up their X-Factor operation. Mm -hmm. But now, years earlier, with no involvement of the Phoenix and no loss of her telepathy. And Hank comes out with this very House of X-looking Cerebro helmet. Yes. Amplified to be able to do the things that they need to do to be able to find mutants right before their powers come online. And that's when they start gathering the, the, the students before they're supposed to be students. Exactly. So to recruit Kitty pride years before her powers actually manifest in the dark Phoenix saga. Recruit is a sure kidnap is definitely the word that is tossed around after the fact. And it's correct. So they, they have their new base of operation. They have their kind of, I think someone called it out in the comments, their, their toga looking outfits that yeah. are, it's kind of wild, but it looks cool. And they are trying to find mutants. This this one that they're referencing that has caused this explosion, I'm not entirely sure who it might be, but she consoles him as he's dying and almost gets pulled down with him. Mm-hmm. Spot check. Where are you at? I'm having a hard time because I don't love the idea that one decision that Jean Grey made at some point in her life is the reason that all of mutant kind is in downfall right now. Like, I don't ever like the idea that the entire fate of the mutant race is responsible from one person. Well, sure. But could that be one person a different group of people or different people at various times. If one person made, if Magneto and Charles never came to Sinister in House of X and Powers of 10, how would that have affected where we went with the Krakoan era? Yeah. I. And this as a, as a choice, it's not exactly entirely her choice either. So this is a choice of the O5 to retain their knowledge, to retain. Is it though? Because it feels very much in this issue like, 
Jean is pushing her agenda on all of them. Like they start to question it. They're like, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe this. And she's just like, no, I am Jean Grey. I am all powerful. I know better than all of you. Throughout the issue. But at the beginning, everybody's on board. Everybody's like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. We We can be stronger. We can make a better future. The intention is great. Where it plays out and with this awesome power to do things, not necessarily for the benefit of everyone. Mm-hmm. They're lying to people, trying to change the narrative. They don't want people to know that it was mutants that caused this explosion. So this gets a little bit of initial uneasiness. Why not tell the truth? Everybody's starting to question, okay, like, I thought we were here to help people. I thought we were here to better mutants. And her reasoning is pretty sound. So if if the public knew that it was a mutant that caused this explosion, that caused these deaths of these people or, or potential deaths... Mm-hmm. How would that affect sentiment towards mutants? Right. It wouldn't it wouldn't go well. Right. I just don't love the the I don't love the actions that are being taken and I'm wondering how it's gonna happen as you know, as you keep talking about it as we get closer to the end, because at the end of this she was like, mm, yes, now I know the mistake I made and I'm like, but are you saying that this was the mistake you made and that this was the path that things were supposed the way things were supposed to happen? No, she she shakes the etch a sketch and starts again at the end of the issue. Okay. The fact that the the rest of the team is questioning, do you even need us? Why are we even here? Trask finds out that this was a cover up, a, a lie. It was a mutant attack. Sentinels are outside the team's hideout. They're destroying the building as they escape. And now, no, now we have to use the technology that we've done. So. Was that the right choice? No, it felt like it was in the moment, but then it's come back to bite them. Mm-hmm. And now they're set on this path, the path that they had already set out to make, use the technology that they've developed to rescue, quote unquote, our first proto-mutant. What about Kitty Pride? The fact that they, you know, she's off to boarding school. Mm-hmm. And this is even starting to seed further throughout the entire issue. I was like, I mean, like, I was on board at first, but like, this feels... Like too much. Right. Right. And that's going too far. You're turning super evil. That's the power corrupting her thinking that this is a necessary choice for what we need for the like the parallels between her and Magneto drawn later on are pretty spot on. The fact that like she's doing what she believes is right to safeguard the mutant Mm -hmm. people into the future. Yeah. And she and like, well, they do the same thing. They like uproot Sam Guthrie before he's supposed to be uprooted and and completely erase him from the memories of his family which i think is super messed up exactly but in escalation of how she's using her powers and then she's like super mad that charles like revived magneto which i think is kind of wild the fact that you know she wanted him down and out completely and Mm -hmm. charles is like no he's my he's my chess buddy you know he's my guy i saw a meme (laughs) where it's like no, I think it was it was the Max that draws comics about comics and it's basically them sitting at a chessboard and Magneto's saying like I create a force field around my piece and I I attack you with this is like and Charles is like I put up defensive shields and they're like we should really learn how to play this game, right? <laughs> is this even how you play chess? Yeah. So the fact that they are comparing her to a mini Magneto Right? They're saying, like, I could have shown you how to do this better. Well, I'm, I'm not a terrorist like you. I'm not attacking 
large scales of people. I was like, well, you know, your baby steps to the big picture. You're, you're getting there. You might find your way to it if you reach the reasoning that you need to get there. Mm-hmm. But she's getting really upset and offended by the fact that she's being compared to Magneto. But then we go even further with Trish Tilby in the next pages as Hank is trying to talk to Trish about the fact that Trask is assembling a mutant army on his side. And they are rescuing, kidnapping, stealing these kids. And Jean just steps in and wipes her mind. Yeah, messed up. Hank can't do anything. It doesn't want to be a part of it. And she turns on Hank as well. Right. And Cyclops is like, was it going to be me next? What's up, Jean? Which I feel like is the logical question. They they were all on board with what we were doing at first, but you've taken it too far. Mm -hmm. You've taken it beyond where we're comfortable with. And then she turns into the phoenix, question mark. I'm just one person alone unless I felt it from the beginning, but I ignored it like so many things. It was calm, waiting, wings furled. She embraces the phoenix that has wanted to bond with her power, recognizing that she is the ultimate avatar for the phoenix and wanting to have the power to be able to make things different on her own, which... The well, phoenix. How? 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 What do you mean how? Was the phoenix in her from forever? Like so, the phoenix has, in the history of X Men, has been aware of Jean Grey for a long time since her powers came online, I believe, and has been in the waiting of okay. Once you're ready, once you're able to accept, in original continuity, she had telepathic blocks to mm-hmm. keep things in check, to keep her abilities more controlled. But she doesn't have that here because they've been removed from the time travel and from the memories saved and to know of the Phoenix because of traveling to the future to have learned this is how Jean dies multiple times. And okay, so there's there's clearly a connection to each other. This was going to happen eventually. The Phoenix was going to bond with Jean in some way when she is saving the team from the space landing in mm-hmm. issues like 101 of Uncanny X-Men. But now, if I'm to save them, save them all, I need to become a bigger monster. I need power. I need, we are one. So she she needs the phoenix, and the phoenix has always wanted to bond with her. And she embraces it. She's on this rampage. She's changing one person after another, destroying them, trying to take them down. Project Chimera to turn my mutant army into living weapons which I believe this is Trask, and she just says no and unleashes the fire of the Phoenix. The whole team is like, okay, this. what do we do? How do we fight against this person? We make all our own Magneto helmets. Yes. And we strap them on our heads. Yes. Even you, Magneto, don't you at least know when you've been beaten? I've done this, this to you before. ridiculousness of Magneto in a hover chair. Yeah, I mean... I think that that might be the effects of her initial attack. Yeah, but look at them in their wheelchairs together. Yeah. Wheelchair buddies. Wheelchair bros. Seems like, anyway, a weird thing, but I get it, I guess. So everybody is fighting against her, trying to stop her. Charles, uh, what? I just saw the the primo truck with the smiley face. That's a very, like, Amazon Prime knockoff. Yes, absolutely. Charles trying to reach out to her saying that, you know, you're killing people. You're going to just make even more 
of a focus for the humans to hate us. Mm-hmm. And she's not having any of it. Quit talking. Quit fighting me, all of you. I can't think. Go away. Just all of you, everyone, everything, go away. She burns literally all of them away using that phoenix power. This wasn't what I wanted. It isn't what I meant at all. Me alone, nothing, no one else but the phoenix? Horrible, wrong. My idea, my willfulness, my pride, my fault. Gone, I've learned that option no longer exists. So even seeing herself in what looks like, I believe this is like her second year gala look. Because this is not like her war, her war suit from this year. No, but her second year gala look became her, her regular look. uniform. Right. Yeah. So now she's seeing a different point. So this is when the plane initially catches fire, when the phoenix first reaches out to her. Yeah, see, that's not clear at all. Like, you're in a bunch of fire, and then you see another image that's a bunch of fire. How am I supposed to know that that's not the same scene? Okay, that's fine. I mean, I I understand that because you've only read The Dark Phoenix and or Phoenix once. So Mm -hmm. why would this stand out as something unusual? The text boxes of finding the next possibility, the next choice to make a different choice. I know exactly where it all went wrong. Looking at this airplane crashing or this this space, uh, what do they call it? Rocket ship, mm-hmm. spaceship crashing. Was this where it all went wrong? Was bonding with the Phoenix or, or having the Phoenix copy her and cocoon her in the, the bottom of Jamaica Bay? Was that where it all went wrong? And that will be issue two, I assume. Mm-hmm. What is the Krakoan at the end? Dead Reckoning. Did anything for you? No. Okay. I mean, like, I feel like I, I, I appreciate the breakdown in that I understand more now that this, like, I like the uh, categorization of like this is essentially what ifs. Sure. But I still don't think that the writing is clear for someone who doesn't know Gene's history. Like, not knowing this. Even that ending moment, like as you were saying it, I was reading that page and there, yeah, you see everyone sort of disappear, but the visualization that she's still constantly surrounded in fire and yeah, her costume is changing, but there isn't enough of a visual difference for me to understand that she erased that decision and is now embarking on a new one. Like I know that she says, I see, I see it now, like, Mm -hmm. but did that that's not clear and I don't like I personally can't connect this is something that has happened to me multiple times with books that make me feel confused and make me feel dumb I don't like them I I don't connect with them and this book made me feel like I didn't know what was going on I didn't know what I was supposed to know I didn't know what I what was new and old and I also maybe as it continues maybe now that I have this sort of overarching understanding a little bit more of like what the purpose of the book is but like even as you were going through it i was like do we need to see gene go full villain mode to know that that's not the right path like i mean i think she needs to to know that that's not the right path right how is she going to know how it's going to end she's just making this one choice of difference and she's learning from it i think 
so these are two separate pages towards the end this this one where everything's burned away and she's in the white nothingness i believe that that's a reference to her being in the white hot room the fact that then she is able to reconstruct the mansion around her to see some differences of memories and then to basically play through the other points of her life where there could be another moment where she could make a different choice that could be the the path forward. Obviously, it's going to be the last issue where she makes the ultimate choice and that's what brings her back or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. But, but that's, I guess, another thing that's like irking me or making me hesitant about the story is that like in this framework of here are all the things in my life here are let's say it's five issues right so here are five key points in my history that I can go back and say if I made a different choice then the world would be different like you know how I feel about time travel and like resets and this feels like so is the end is the last issue is Jean gonna go and change something in her life that then changes everything that happened in the future and Orcus is gone and Krakoa didn't fall and all of those things like are just wrapped up and changed because Jean changes one point from her history like that doesn't feel like a justifiable satisfying ending to me well, and just, that's we don't know that that's the ending no we don't but I just if she's going to be going back and looking at time points in her life where it all went wrong like what else is it going to be is there an opportunity to change her ability to be prepared for the attack at the Hellfire Gala that does not result in her dying? Or is there an opportunity to preserve her connection with the Phoenix that allows her to come back easily or or do something so that she is able to rejoin the fight? And Because I don't think that they're going to do all of this with the fall of X and then just wipe it away. Right, that would really make me angry. Like, that's what I'm saying. So I don't think that that's happening. The idea that she could reset something that would completely negate everything else that's happening in all the other stories. Right. Like, I guess I, I am intrigued by the idea that she could find a way to reconnect with the Phoenix to then be able to bring her back. But even if it is to the point where it makes her not die at the gala, still, how does that fit in the timeline of everything else that everyone else is doing I don't know. I, I I feel like this is issue one and you're asking a lot of questions about issue five. And that's to get to that. We have to go through it to experience like, OK, where what else do we learn along the way that yeah. then result in how this affects things going forward? I guess I would just be interested to see how the future stories in this title feel inclusive to people who don't know the past. And I really don't think that those last pages are are clear if you don't know about the white hot room and you don't know about um like you you can't pinpoint that one image from the beginning of the dark phoenix saga like it that's it's just it's all fire and the only thing that's changing is Jean's outfit and the spaceship in the last panel right it looks like an airplane though okay I don't know okay so I think we kind of got to your overall thoughts. Um, yeah, and I mean, I'm not trying to be like a Debbie Downer. I just like, I didn't enjoy the book and that, I don't. And that's fine. I'm not trying to make you say that you enjoyed it. No, no, I, just, I know that. We're talking about what it means and or what it could mean going forward to the rest of the direction of this title. And, you know, trying to find where this could lead for the rest of the story and how it impacts the overall line. Yeah. I am hesitant for 
one character in one book to be the end-all be-all of the entire fall of X. And that's what I'm feeling this is setting Jean up to do. And I don't know if I like that. I like more of like, this person's doing this over there and this person's doing this over there and then they all come together and it's a team effort and, you know, it's not one mutant is the best and the rest of them are just okay. Well, so what if what she does brings a piece to the puzzle? Great. It's still on the table. Yeah, and that's cool. I mean, I generally wasn't sure what to expect with this. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. It seems to take place outside of time in current comics and tries a number of approaches to change the end result, which what is the end result? Is the end result of her dying at the Hellfire Gala? Is the end result of her being able to come back? I'm not sure. What is the path that leads to the end we want most? We don't know. I wonder if this actually has the ability to change things for real in the 616, her mm-hmm. playing in these, if I made this choice, if I made this choice, because I don't know if she, is she beyond time? Right, exactly. Sure. Uh, and then it's like a lot of clues towards Jean watching these memories, this potential from being in the white hot room, being in this all whiteness as she's walking through the memories, seeing her full life on display in this way. Really solid art, which, you know, interesting character story to me. The way the power and intention could still corrupt how her friends struggled to stay by her side, wanting to back her because they felt like she was on the right path in the beginning, but seeing it play out in a Mm. variety of different ways that they didn't agree with. The Phoenix entering and how it did, when it did, and how that changes Jean's perspective on their relationship and and embracing it at that point, needing it essentially. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, does that make me turn further in the other direction? Because I feel if I were to try to predict what issue two is, is she going to say no to the Phoenix entirely at that point? Mm-hmm. Because she's seen now, this is what happens when I embrace the Phoenix fully. Right. So like what happens if there is no Phoenix? Right. But if there is no Phoenix, essentially she's not able to even be where she is right now. And they would likely all die in that plane crash right. or in the coming mm-hmm. back from space. So a lot of unknown, just issue one. I think that's kind of keep that in front of mind is that we're going to see the rest of this play out. But yeah, you weren't the only one that didn't like it or that had struggles with it. But or, it was the book of the week. It was. And I kind of agree at times, but I still really like the character story and the bigger picture of, I think it's hard in general for a solo for me to be the book of the week just because X-Men has always been about team dynamics. Yeah. And I think that for me is the thing is that like, this is really just about Jean. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, I I think maybe I will enjoy future issues now that I understand it's sort of set up a little bit more. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's start with, let's start with the good. The, okay. the people that loved it. Pete Woods 86 loved Jean Grey. Just off the bat. House of Rhetorica says that Wheezy is serving. So Louise Simonson, the writer mm-hmm. who is a, a classic compatriot of Claremont in yeah, the yeah. Claremont arcs. And I think she is. She's definitely using her editor brain to look at the full continuity of Jean's life and to see, okay, how this plays into this. For sure. And it's very clear that she understands the relationships and the dynamics of the characters and how they would interact with each other and how they would react. And to... who would be the last ones? Right. Know, Hank 
it was revealed when they went to the future had feelings for Gene. Mm-hmm. Scott always been in love with Gene. Right. You know, these are people that would excuse these actions to a degree for an extended period of time. Yeah. Legion on Zoom said Gene Grey was dot 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 weird. <laughs> and I think that that's getting to the like, okay, yes. so what's happening? Where are we? What are we thinking or doing? One more summer is disappointed with the Gene Mini. Which I I I always sometimes when I get these things, I'm like, why? I want to know more. Like, tell me why. And I know we're, we're recording like days later, so I could have asked these people. I, I probably <laughs> should have, but you know, life and things, and I yeah. forgot. If you want to message us and tell me, I tell would love me to why. know. Why? Yeah. Both Legion on Zoom and One More Summer, and and everybody, everybody, like you know, why did you like it? Vaderino is the one that called out the toga esque uniforms, though. Can we talk about them? Yes, yes, we can, and I don't like them. They're interesting. <laughs> they are, you know, they're what Warren has in his house because he goes to a lot of toga parties. <laughs> it tracks. Warlion thought that Simonson's callbacks to the classic comics were so cool. The nod to Warren's inheritance and his relationship with his family is a great bit, especially as it hasn't been mentioned for decades. Mm. Trish Tilby's importance in the fall of Beast characters. So, you know, that's big. Michael Fox thinks that Gene is definitely in the white hot room tapping into some real power. Let's go. And I would agree 100% 100% with what you're saying about, okay, so if I don't know what the White Hot Room is or that this is something available to Phoenix hosts, mm-hmm. or if I don't know, like when I saw that plane crash in that last panel, I immediately knew what it was mm-hmm. because I've read the Dark Phoenix Saga and the Phoenix Saga and even Madeline's story where that gets played out again because the the suspicious timing of when one died and when one came online or or you know was starting to yeah, was in the yeah. hospital right all those details of madeline's story when i saw that and also knowing the concept of the book i was like okay so we're going we're going to issue 101 next mm-hmm. we're going to the end of issue 101 as they're falling back issue 102 i believe is where she rises from the the water and i am reborn i am phoenix but it's not yeah. really phoenix or it's not really gene she's in a cocoon that's a retcon and hate it but. yeah i guess the other thing that's like kind of confusing is gene like at the in the hellfire gala gene was like telepathically connecting to people like up until her last moments so are you saying or is it true that even if you're completely dead, you can be in existence in the white hot room? Like, how is she there if she's completely dead? So her physical body is dead. But her she is connecting with people in the astral plane. And because of the phoenix being the phoenix, the kind of taking the mental energies and, and reincorporating them to bring someone back to life... Uh, that I I believe that the Phoenix is going to be a core tie into this story. Well, yeah. So we, and- we see the full expression of it in this first issue. We're maybe going to see a tempered back version in the second and then find some happy medium uh, as we reach to the fifth. And then is that what she comes back as or how she comes back? I mean, I know that we've been having the tease of the Phoenix, you know, like we had that Last Supper image and the Phoenix was in the chair and yep. like all of these things, these ideas that the Phoenix is a is a major player in what's going on. I think it's just, again, a thing that's like confusing if if you didn't know about how that works, I guess. Like, so 
her because uh, I know how she was communicating with everyone at the Hellfire Gala was through the astral plane. Like that's how she was going to visit Logan. That's how she was bopping around. That's how she connected with Scott right before you know she died while he was in the ambulance. Like all of those things were astral plane. But then her spirit somehow also still lives on in this white hot room scenario. Her spirit, her her. So when the phoenix first assumed Jean's body, mm-hmm. she was copied completely and reproduced using the phoenix's energy. Okay. So I'd assume something similar to that is what we're talking about here. And also just the way the phoenix is not held to the rules of man. Right. Like this is a cosmic entity beyond mm-hmm. anything of mortal understanding. Right. So what a phoenix can do versus what a singular person can do, very wildly different. Right. And there's no way to like fully explain it or understand it. To fully explain it or even to know the extent of it, right? Mm -hmm. Because anything that you write it, okay, that works. You know, it's it's an all-powerful cosmic being that is literally life and death. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying about the logistics of her being able to be actively, you know, with her last breath yeah. doing this. I'm just trying to understand it. Like, where does this, where does this place, you know, like. We're going to find out. Is this all still happening at the same time that she, because you get that opening image of her, like. I believe She's that. not even in her current, she's right. not even in the Hellfire Gal outfit that she's dying in. Because so. she's no longer in, she's no longer alive. In the beginning of this issue, I'd imagine that she is in, her consciousness is in the white hot room. And she is replaying through her life and trying to find out where things could go differently to be able to save or save herself or save the people. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. You know, for as much as I can guess or predict, we don't know. Right, right. Of course. Issue one. Right, we're going to find out more as we go. <sighs> mm, no, nothing else. No other no, that's it. That's all. comments or okay. Well, shake it off. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I, I don't mean to sound like a negative Nancy. I just, like I said, when, when a book makes me feel stupid, I really don't, I, it's hard for me to be like, yeah, okay, this. Yeah. And I get it. Like, not every book is for every person. And like, some books are meant for people who have the full scope of the X-Men or have the nostalgia or have the understanding of these things that I don't have. And that doesn't make them bad. Right. It just makes them inaccessible to a point. Yeah. And I think that, you know, part of me was like, okay, if you feel this way again about a book, about a title, we should talk about it beforehand. But at the other time, I'm like, okay, you're not the only person that's going to feel this way about this book. Mm -hmm. There are going to be countless people that are like, I only saw the movie. What's this going? What what is this? Right. Justin just explained the Dark Phoenix saga to me. I don't know what actually happened with the specifics. That image of the spaceship not doing anything for me. I don't know. Right. So like there's that's that's part of the show is you are arriving with the amount of information that you have based on the amount of comics that you've read. Right. Is that something that someone, anyone, I don't even know if I read the recap blurb in this issue. So I don't know. Did they say anything more? Did they tell you anything additional? Did I read it? Yeah, I did read it. It didn't really give you it was it was more like the key points that I know. Like she's in O five and 
she has had the Phoenix partnered with her and she did the quiet council for a little while. Yeah. You know? And then everything else is new, but then also referencing a lot of, or at least a starting point in continuity that is convoluted in and of itself. The fact that the O five from the sixties went up to the two thousands and then went back and then saved right. all the information. Right. You know, but then you think about how that, that as a concept plays on this idea of the vault or resurrection and, and saving and sending backup data mm. or, or being able to, you know, Moira's lives and this, the, the Moira machine from Sinister, like that, that all feels tied to this as a concept. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Well, tomorrow, whatever the next issues are, what are we, what's, what do we got coming? We thankfully have a light week. Okay. No, no, no. I hate saying that. No, but it's, it's good balance. You need yes. to have, you can't have heavy, 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 heavy because then your brain explodes. Right, because we had two heavy weeks in a row. But we have Wolverine number 36, part three of the Weapons of Vengeance, mm-hmm. actually in Wolverine. Miss Marvel, the New Mutant, number one. Ooh, exciting. We'll see about Marvel Age One Thousand. I hate these like big like I don't I don't know. It's a ten dollar book. It's like what is this? Is this important? Do I need this? And then Ultimate Invasion number three, which I don't even think we even mentioned. Number two, I don't think you read it. Andy still has it because I've been lending them to him <laughs> after I buy them. No, I don't know anything about that. Right, it has nothing to do with current X Men continuity, at least now. All right. Uh, I believe that's it. Well, Jiminy Crickets, that was a lot. Until next time, old friend. Charles, Gene is in charge now. (laughs) Sit back down. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 